This is Network Zero, episode number two, and I am joined, as always, by Sam. Hi. And David. Hello. And I'm, of course, Chris. And we will be covering, for Chronicles of Darkness, we will be looking at, of course, Vampire the Requiem, second edition. Uh, before we go into that, um, what gaming stuff we've been up to, or hobby-type stuff, or general things? Um, David? Uh, quite a lot, actually. Um, so I played the second uh, game uh, I was running of Numenera with my players um, that's getting increasingly uh, disturbing, lots of uh, elements of body horror. Um, I interviewed the guys over at Cool Mini or Not, um, uh, Brian Steele, about Dark Age, a post-apocalyptic science fiction skirmish game. Um, and I finished, we had the last session of a game of Vampire the Requiem I've been in since 2011, uh, last Saturday, which was brilliant. Wow. Okay, that's a long-running game. Yeah. Um, what about yourself? Uh, well, as for me, well, so the other weekend, myself and James were at uh, the UK Games Expo. So we saw, we met Andy Chambers in person and Dave Brookshaw, who's uh, the um, lead developer on uh, Mage the Awakening. Uh, picked up a few games, played a few things, uh, tried out Dark Souls, so we've blogged all about that. Finished my Kingdom Death campaign, which has taken God knows how long after about a good six months of playing through, um, on and off. Uh, and ooh, and we're about to start playing Geist, aren't we, Sam? Mm -hmm. So uh, we've got yourself, Alex, and Mark, and that's going to be a game set in Paris, so... Do you know what your character concept is, Sam? What are you, what are you running for, Geist? Um, she's a psychiatrist. Hmm. And um, that's all I remember at the moment because I don't have it written down. So. Yeah, you need to add some more details. Mm -hmm. I think she's got like the ability to use um, what was it? Kind of ghostly fire. Yeah. And stillness, however that manifests, because Geist is a very kind of like. You take one power and you take a key and it does something different. And then you take the same power in your other key and it will do something different. So it's quite an interesting system. It's just, um, yeah, it's going to be different. I haven't run anything for a while, so that's going to be good fun. Um, but that's kind of hobby-wise other than my typical painting stuff and writing stuff. Sam, you been up to anything hobby-wise? What, you been uh, writing more poetry? Uh, not a lot this week because I've not been well. Yeah. Um... Yeah, just what? putting things together. Yeah, any movies that we've been watching in particular? Oh no, we've, we've watched all of. We've been watching Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, we've been binging Mad Men because we finally got around to watching it um, after years of needing to watch it, and we love it. It's probably the best thing that's ever been on TV. <laughs> it's. Um, it, I'd wonder what it would be interesting inspiration for. Is it good inspiration for Vampire, or is it better inspiration for a different game? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Hmm. I've only That's seen one... one episode, so uh, I can't comment. It's fantastic. <laughs> I've only so, heard good things. So um, let's think. What other stuff's been going on? Uh, can we comment on on White Wolf kind of news? Um, it's the Darker think... Days episode on... Uh, Beast the Primordial. Uh, yeah, there there was that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say much more. People, if you want to find out our our opinion and review of that, go listen to it. It's a very long episode, and we were very very honest. Um, 
yeah so we did that um, <laughs> um i doubt we'll cover it in any time soon uh, we've got a lot of other games to talk about before we get to that yes. um mage the awakening second edition is out i've not read it yet uh, there's also the pack which is for werewolf the forsaken second edition which is all about how werewolves you know create their packs and how they the type of people that can be involved in their packs and the relationships they have which can also be with other supernatural creatures like vampires and mages and prometheans and so forth and so forth uh, i've not read that one yet but sounds like a good book um and obviously i think not far off is secrets of the covenants which is a book for vampire the requiem uh and that will be quite useful to uh, read through for more information on the covenants themselves because there are many as we will explain um and i think that's pretty much it on on chronicles of darkness news uh i can't think of any other releases or anything else coming up uh though talking to dave brookshaw in person uh deviant the whatever it's going to be sounds really really good it's um it has a very kind of Cronenberg kind of body horror feel to me. It, it really feels to me like it's tapping into that idea of the, the, the science of evil, you know, where science gets that bleeding edge and it unlocks things and it causes weird shit to happen. So I'm really kind of quite excited for that because I think often in White Wolf games, science is often treated as, as it's, just, it's just mundane magic. It's just, it's just mundane. It's and magic is actually magic, and science, ultra powerful science is just magic. And I'm kind of sick of that. And I think that is an element that that was kind of prevalent, especially with kind of when you look at Mage: The Ascension, uh, and also you look at how Changeling: The Dreaming treats things and say you know, says something's mundane and uh, and banal. And I don't think science is banal. I think it's I think it's a horrible thing to say that science is banal. I don't think my work is banal. I think my work is very really cool um, that I do for a living. So so, but I think there is. It's interesting when you can get to that point where you unlock the the quantum chaos that exists in our universe, or the biological secrets, and all hell breaks loose, and you get these other things which aren't powered by them they aren't they aren't magical they're just it is actually just science beyond our own knowledge i think that interfaces quite well with the god machine because the god machine is is like occult science so i think it's kind of it's like kind of their two sides of the same middle ground i'm so looking forward to this game i really really as soon as i heard uh his list of inspirations for it including cronenberg and akira um, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm completely down. Uh, with regards to um, examples of how this might work, have you seen season two of Being Human? Uh, which version? The uh, original. Uh, of course, we've, we've watched it all. Excellent. five times we've watched it all. <laughs> yes. yeah. So I think that's a great example of um, uh, a group using science to combat or interact with other supernatural groups in a way that's completely fitting to gothic horror but is 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 mundane in terms of um uh the the technology is not magical in any way or supernatural in any way but it's a, a real source of horror and then you've got things like uh event horizon 
uh, is oh, one yeah. example. Um, Cronenberg, uh, pretty much most of his early films would fit with this. So I think it's going to be a really, really, really interesting addition to another Conflict one, Arcs. which I think is a good one because um, you said Event Horizon. Um, Pandorum is a good yes. film uh, for that. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be. It, I get the like talking in person about. It, I'm really enthused about it, and sometimes I, I wish I had more time to sit down with David and talk about it. I wish he was more free, freely available to talk about it. I guess the nice thing is now we're in the same country. We could actually technically like arrange something. Like it'd be really cool for him to like run a game and record it or something like that. Definitely, that be, maybe get him on for an interview as well. Oh, he's always he's always up for coming on for an interview. Um, yeah, that would be great. Um, is, this, is this going to come to Kickstarter? It would more than likely come to Kickstarter so they can do a traditional print run. Yeah. Excellent. So, like they did with Beast, like they did with Demon, like they did with uh, Mummy. So that'll be good. Um, right. I think that's enough chit-chat about nonsense and stuff. Let's move on to the actual main meat of this episode, um, which is going to cover Vampire the Requiem. So, uh, Vampire the Requiem has been around for now. Oh God, how long? How long has it been around for? Is it now almost fifteen years? When About that, I think. Yeah, it's all we're get, getting. It's over ten years, and it's funny when it came out because I was planning a Vampire the Masquerade game, and I wanted it set in Manchester. And I was looking at ways of like breaking up the typical politics of that setting, and then Requiem turned up. And I was like, wow, I can do anything. It was, you know, reading into it, it was a lot easier to create the setting I I wanted. And I think that's, to start off as a point to make about the game, all of Chronicles of Darkness, and and in particular, we're talking about Vampire Requiem, you can create the setting you want, meaning when you play Requiem with one person running it, and when you play it with another person running it, the potential for those games to be very different is very very high um and i think this is the only point i will say you know will have mentioned in this podcast masquerade because over all this time requiem now stands on its own two feet as a distinct game because it really has expanded and grown and in some respects got closer to some of the original um inspiration for for um for vampires, you know, in, in media, bit TV and literature, and maybe it's grabbed a hot, taken, taken by the throat, some of that, that inspiration and what the vampire is, because I would say a lot of the TV shows that we see are knockoffs of Masquerade. And I feel Requiem has taken that, the vampire back and made it kind of made it brutal again in its own, in, in it and more, a cult rather than being this um i think as uh martin erickson said it um the vampire in tv in, in a lot of like tv and film media feels rather domesticated at least in modern tv and media mm. yeah does anyone want to agree with me on that you can disagree uh I... no i i i agree um i i'm not a fan of 
a lot of the vampire shows that are still on apparently like vampire diaries is still on i think vampire diaries the originals um, true blood's finished but i could never get into true blood um yeah it's it's just um uh, i feel like the the only vampire sort of series i really liked is um well i like being human mm-hmm. um i was a big fan of buffy and of angel course. And um, also, I guess like the hunger was really good. The series, yeah, that had yeah. I think that had a few episodes which were kind of racy, kind of vampires in there. And um, that's pretty much every episode, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the Channel Four series, uh, it was Channel Four, was it Channel Four? Ultraviolet. It was indeed. Yeah. I've uh, yeah. written it and published an article on it. Ah, great. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so, um. So where should we start with Requiem? Because I mean, clearly, it's it's the the whole point when they went back into Requiem and went back into vampires is we we've got just five clans in this game: uh, the Deva, the uh, Mechet, the Gangrel, the Nosferatu, and the Ventru. And each of these clans of vampires are not stereotypes. We've had enough of stereotypes, and I think. In this day and age, we're well beyond stereotypes and exoticizing, uh, you know, subcultures and and ethnic minorities and so forth. Um, but what we've got instead of are vampires that really represent a particular kind of expression of of vampirism uh, within mythology and books and TV. Um, so, David, which is your favourite clan of vampire? Or which vampire have you been playing? I've been playing a Mechet um, okay. and very interested in exploring the occult aspect of Vampire the Requiem. So he was uh, a Mechet who was in the Ordo Dracul and um, had an affinity with ghosts and could compel, uh, speak oh, we- with and, and command ghosts. Um, I really like the, the Mechet as representing the kind of the hidden masters, that the um, power behind the throne, um, the way in which the mechanics behind them influenced um, a quite stealthy, sneaky aspect uh, to the vampire. Yeah, I really like Mecha. They're my go-to pick. Um, I think what I also like was some of the stuff in the clan book for them. So it, it um, introduced um, uh, kind of an Egyptian mythology to them. So that's possibly their origin is and is that they have a, an Egyptian kind of... Uh, founder possibly if there is a singular founder uh and that relates into the fact they they're a they have a their um their mystery cult so they seem very much to be based on like having small cults of people that they develop and, and foster until they have people they can turn into ghouls and then obviously eventually possibly embrace um they they're um but because of that egyptian element they can mummify people and do posthumous uh embraces and i really like that and that's something they they put into requiem so there's different ways of being embraced in vampire you can obviously be extenuated you're dead and at that moment of death you're fed blood by your sire and you wake up a vampire um it obviously much like i think in interview it's a very painful experience as your body rebels against you as you die is this right sam it, they uh yeah um i was i was thinking about that uh, when I wrote notes on it, mm. and um, 
you know, you, you tend to see two different types of transformation, uh, which are the very, you know, very violent sort of sudden transformation. You know, it suddenly happens. Like yeah. in the movie of Interview the Vampire, it happens very suddenly. And he just changes into a vampire there and then you see it happen. Um, but I think I actually prefer the uh, more gradual vampire transformation as in near dark. Oh, yeah, where yeah. You're slowly giving in to that kind of nature. So, I mean, I, I, I think there's a place for both types, but um, yeah. I just wanted to throw that in there that, you know. Of... And I think that's fair because I think I think within the way Rep Home is set up is that it allows you to 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 actually have a multitude of different ways of being embraced. So mm -hmm. you can have the, the the preserved corpse that then wakes up. And for the mecha, apparently they prefer this method because it it allows the person to shed their human life more easily. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it means you can also quite happily do a whole load of posthumous uh, embraces where you create basically a little army of shovelhead vampires that you can send as weapons against someone. That's a bit mean to do, but, you know, uh, whatever floats your boat if you're if you're engaging in full blown vampire secret war. Um you have the other one where you know you're you're fed upon and then you're embraced. And the other one is the revenants, isn't it, David? So um the person's in is essentially because they fed on vampires, they've been fed blood so much they're infected. So yeah, the idea of um of coming back uh, so just to, to clarify with Revenants, um, my understanding was that a Revenant could be from um, when you have, uh, you know, you kill as you feed, you take all the blood and um, some of the people uh, that you do that to could come back as a Revenant. Is that um, mechanic? No, the, the, that's, no, that's another form of posthumous embrace that can, that's accidental embraces as well. Okay. So oh, a revenant is where it's kind of like where a ghoul or another person that it hasn't isn't really a ghoul, but they've been fed blood to control them and and you fed upon them enough. When they die, can also spontaneously be embraced. So when they die, already within them. Yeah. So yeah. so so if it if they're um so so it, essentially it allows for a ghoul to become a vampire but not a full vampire so so because they've not because they've not had that last act of being given the blood like um that last act of will by their sire but they've been infected enough to come back as an undead revenant so it's a halfway house okay so between the ghoul and the vamp a yeah. full vampire okay so that's kind of interesting because as you said, Sam, the idea that someone's like, I guess, in um, Brownstoker's fat. Uh, yeah, Renfield. Renfield, because he's slowly... Uh, because he's, yeah, he's he's under the thrall of Dracula and Dracula's his master and obviously he's making him do things for him. He's his, like, emissary. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so he's, you know, he's he has a thirst for blood. Mm. So, you know, he's, you know, thirsting for the blood of, like, you know bugs and rats and things like that but he you know it starts craving more and more so like larger animals and then you know wants to have human blood and is obviously going mad because of that thirst and um like you know i i'd say that i i'm not sure if you think that uh, a revenant would would always be as you know sort of 
as they call Renfield deranged or you know do you think that they could be still sort of functioning maybe they could become functioning at the very moment once they become a full vampire it's almost like a you know yeah, a they, becoming they can, yeah because you kind of but broke before that they're before that they're mostly a bit mad because they're kind of again in that halfway spot mm-hmm, yeah possibly um yeah because it's like you're addicted to blood from whatever source and of course you're really addicted to your master's blood mm-hmm. so you have all that um and of course mecca have a wonderful bane so um uh which is that uh, they um, they uh, they take a lot more damage from sunlight and fire. Yes, indeed. So that's uh, a bit painful to them. Um, now, Sam, you play, you've played, and will be playing again once we actually ever get around to running Requiem, our uh, Requiem Chronicle Season Three, where shit hits the fan. Um, is a uh, being a Deva. Mm-hmm. Now they are the more sensual vampire uh yeah. and they are the classic sexy vampire they are in that yeah. sense um i it's funny because um i feel like you can do that more subtly than you usually see it mm. on television uh with so not pretty shirts and with, with mm. true blood everyone's fucking all the time pretty <laughs> much and and i think i think you can you can sort of show that sensuality and it doesn't have to be a human sort of sexuality because you know the the whole point of vampire literature like classic vampire literature was it it became popular in a time when you know it wasn't really accepted to read erotica so you were reading uh horror novels which telegraphed a kind of sexuality but because it wasn't real human sexuality you know that you know blood drinking vampires is very erotic without it being explicitly erotic Mm. in the traditional sense which was part of the appeal uh to people reading it and um i feel like um sort of modern vampire media has has kind of you know, maybe lost a little bit of that mystery and restraint um, in favour of having it be very human and very sexual. Yeah. And in, in a lot of um, vampire media as well, you, you have that type of vampire media, and then you have things like Anne Rice, where um, although the, the text is very erotic and homoerotic in places, um, you you know, the vampires don't have the ability to have sex, you know, because they're dead. <laughs> That's, you know, I, I think there are a lot of ways that a vampire could have sex, as in Requiem, it's possible for the, for them to... You have the blush of life, which yeah, is... You, you but can, it is a, it's a force of will on the vampires. So, but, yeah. yeah. It's something that they can do if they want to feel human or experience that type of human pleasure again. Uh, but... Um, like uh, I guess there are many ways you could explain, especially if a vampire fed and then wanted to have sex. There could be a way of, you know, uh, channeling that blood <laughs> yeah. rush to somewhere convenient. Um, and I think that's how you could probably explain it in types of vampire media that that use this uh, sexual um, sort of 
prowess thing for vampires. Um, I just think it's a little bit overdone. That's all. Um, you know, I'm I'm not against vampires being erotic because that's you know one of the core things about certain types of vampires. You know, to me, you have very sort of uh, uh, bestial vampires, and then you have sort of you know very sexy, attractive, you know, like uh, kind of. Uh, a fantasy sort of mm. vampire, tall, dark, and handsome, or whatever. Mm. Um, with regards to what you were saying about me playing a Deva, um, I like I said, I I I try not to to make him too human in that sense, but I think he's human in a lot of other senses because I play sort of a rich boy a vampire who um, was always a bit of an asshole, and. Um, he just like happens to be a vampire, you know, he happens to drink blood. It's not really who he is as a person. Um, a lot of his bad traits simply existed when he was human as well. They're just amplified a little bit. Hmm. And uh, because I was interested in exploring um, how, you know, you, you could be a vampire, but have very human flaws. So that's so they're I mostly, doing. I mean, because the way of how Vampire Requiem works, and we'll get to this, is that's kind of like him maintaining his mas his own personal masquerade. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was interesting is when we were playing is that even though he was quite a bad person, he was actually the most human of all the characters. Yeah. Because of his flaws being very much human, you know, his selfishness and arrogance and things like that. Yeah, I think that comes to a really uh, important point with regards to um, the nature of Vampire the Requiem. It is about um, vampires that have some relationship to their past humanity, whether it's something that they've shared they're trying to cling on to um, or something mm -hmm. they project to other people. Um, it, that emphasis on character is, I would say, more at the forefront than the, the political dimension. Yeah. Very much so. Um, now, what's interesting about David? I think they updated this curse. Uh, uh, they 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 um, they wreck on the Deva. So their curse is that they, if they drink more than once from a particular mortal, uh, they risk becoming emotionally dependent on that person. Mm -hmm. yeah. I quite like that because again, that that kind of gets to the room. They, they're unnatural, unnaturally love that person. Yeah. Which is almost like a, a reflection of how you can cause a person or a vampire to unnaturally love you because you blood bond them by feeding them your blood a number of times, which is why ghouls are such simpering fools to their masters. <laughs> um, so I quite like that. Uh, they're also, um, I like how not just celerity and majesty, so majesty being like they, they, they have this aura of I'm so beautiful and I'm so important, you must pay attention to me. But I love how they've got vigor because it, it represents like, you know, when you fly, it's, it's, that, it's that lover that flies off the handle and, and out, of, out of anger, but driven by love and desire, like breaks the bones of their favorite ghoul. Like mm. of course, a ghoul is going to get back. Will be eventually in one piece because they they have they have vampiric blood in them. They can heal quicker. But it's that lover that goes off the handle, and there's that idea of abuse mm. that is that that comes across in in um, the Deva. So I quite like them for that. They're very narcissistic overall. I would yes. say so that kind of 
the craving, the need for attention, the need for um, their egos to be appeased. Yeah, that one of the, was their weaknesses, pride, though, isn't it? Mine was. Yeah, I can't remember what it was. It was pride, yeah. Is it just pride? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was It was more based around the actual, um, the actual, um, the old sin, uh, cardinal sins, virtue yeah. and vice system. That was where it was, it worked around things. Okay, moving on quickly then, we've got, um, we've got the Gangrel. Um, I quite like the Gangrel. Uh, I prefer them. Uh, I like this incarnation of Gangrel. Uh, they are the bestial vampires. They are the ones that roam out in the darkness between cities. Uh, they are also, I would say, they they are the the a modern hunter of the cities. Uh, uh, they're quite savage, so they can shape shift. Um, they can become animals. They're all that, those classic kind of uh, shape shifting, shape changing uh, elements of vampires, uh, and they can shrug off you know horrific amounts of injuries uh and they can control animals um can i just um can i just stop you there for a minute because this is actually relevant okay um anton yelchin has died oh uh the star of fright night oh god and uh star trek wow 27 crazy yeah i just thought that was worth mentioning that's just breaking right now i just saw it um yeah, so that's very upsetting. Yeah, because he was in the re remake, right? He was, yeah. yeah. Twenty sixteen, wow. continuing. It's yeah, uh, cool. <sighs> right, back on with Gangrel then. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they're quite. I I really like this version of of Gangrel because also they're um they're. Uh, they they have a hard time resisting the beast. So I think at this point it's important to mention that va uh, vampires are dri uh, internally driven by this uh, this beast, this kind of um, other. It's kind of like a, an other element of themselves, an animalistic part of yourself that's brought to the forefront because of your craving for blood and craving to cut out you know, carve out your own territory because you're now a hunter uh, and. Of course, the Gangrel are are um, are victims of their own beast. The beast, you know, claws at their 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 um, psychological state a lot more than the other clans, and drives them to do horrific things like tearing apart another vampire when they meet them on first sight. So, because of that, the Gangrel are then perhaps more driven to be loners and interact with animals who they have. And who they can control. Um, I'm trying to think if many people in our group have played Gangrel. Oh, James played the Gangrel, didn't he? Mm -hmm. um, that was quite cool. Uh, so again, they're quite. They can be quite brutal, powerful uh, characters. Uh, but I think equally, you can you can have them involved in stuff like the the Auto Draft Call or the um, or the Lancare Sanctum or even the Circle of the Chrome from a very cult or religious kind of element. Like the, they can be the wolf of God, you know, hunting down the sinners or for the, for the auto Dracul, they're pushing the very limits of their being so they can evolve or for the circle of crone, you know, they represent a very primal God. Um, David, have, in the game you were playing in, did anyone play as a gangrel? Uh, no. And I'm trying to think if we encountered anyone, um, I'm sure when my GM listens to this, he'll be shouting a name out, um, but not, 
not to my recollection. Maybe um, as part of Belial's brood, there might have been a, a gangrel mm. there. Um, I mean, I think they're really intriguing. There's perhaps, is there maybe a danger with gangrel that it's going to be harder to get group cohesion if someone was playing one? Possibly, but I think, um, I don't think you have to be that way. I think, again, in this second edition, they, they broadened the, the, the concept of what a gangrel is. They don't always have to be these loners out in the wilderness. They can be someone that sits on social media working out who they're going to hunt next because mm-hmm. they'll, they'll go, oh, yeah, I'll meet you for a, for a date. And then they don't turn up, but they quite happily stalk that person through the city. Yeah. Um, I often think, actually, if I was to pick a vampire that in, in TV or film that I think really fits a gangrel. I actually think Deacon Frost from uh, Blade is actually more of a gangrel because he just kind of like flies off the handle and can be quite bestial, but he he's seems like a very modern hunter. Um, not not a vampire, but Dexter, I guess, might have elements yes. of that. Now, the Nosferatu, again, I really do like. Uh, they, again, uh, this version of Nosferatu they're not all ugly they have a aura of disgust of revulsion uh so they have they they persona personify fear and uh, they warp the world around them so they could be the horrible you know bat-faced kind of person humanoid thing or they've got like pop-marked skin or or they've got some you know, they're kind of like a, a weird malformed piece of flesh, really, in, in the way they look. Or they could just simply cause animals kind of go off the go off the handle around them and flee them, or plants just, you know, die in their presence. Or or it could be even more subtle in that the world around them becomes darker and and more, you know, frightening. Um or you can hear things, you know, at the at the boundaries of your um, uh, boundaries of your perception, like weird um, occult gibbering. So I really, pref- I really do like how they they ooze fear rather than just look frightening. Um, and I really like their main, one of their main discipline, nightmare, which is literally a discipline where you can harm people through fear. Uh, so I would say in in Requiem, I've always had fun trying to come up with new ways of how a no, how to make a Nosferatu character look or or seem frightening rather than just going with the physical look of something that looks frightening. So <clears throat> one of the players in the, the long-running game I was in um, played a Nosferatu and his monstrosity uh, was highlighted that as time wore on, his skin became more and more translucent um, and there was always dirt under his nails um, and just this kind of really, um, again, trying to evoke that sense of disgust that there's something really unnatural about him that even other vampires might feel uncomfortable in his presence. Yeah, and I think that's the... The Nosferatu are the ones which really do kind of... They are the the, the ultimate kind of unnatural vampires. They're, they're the least human-seeming ones, but that doesn't prevent them being very good killers and very good hunters. And in fact, much like the Mecha, they, they have the ability of using obfuscate to hide, you know, 
and even hide amongst crowds and and stalk people. It's just while a mechet might you know feed on someone little by little at night, being the being the the succubi or succubus who comes in and is the literal night terror sat on your chest feeding from you. The Nosferatu, I feel, could be either that or a more violent terror because they they literally harm through fear. Uh, I actually um, diablerized a Nosferatu in in the game and gained Nightmares Discipline, and um, it was by far and away the most interesting and flavorful ability um, out of everything that I developed apart from the, the, the Mastery of Ghosts. And if I was, Did you, you, is, is the master of ghost one? Is that one that you took from uh, Book of the Dead? Uh, I don't know because the GM gave it to me. Okay. So, um, oh no, it, there's. I think that one's in one book, but Book of the Dead has a way of like feeding from ghosts or something. So it's a it's a discipline tied to the underworld. No, th- this was um, kindred medium. Oh, okay, right. And uh, and there was actually a character in the game who could do that, who was kind of in an uneasy alliance with my character because he could potentially just nullify his ability, um, and and consume the ghosts. Uh, but nightmare in one particular instance, um, actually managed to roll an exceptional success and killed a hunter um, <laughs> as he opened the door, and he just had a heart failure and, and collapsed. Brilliant. So. Um, I think it's a brilliant um, ability, and I think that the Nosferatu as a concept is something that I'd like to explore in more detail. So I think if I was to play a different vampire, I might go with a Nosferatu as my, my next choice. Um, okay, last one we'll go, of course, last clan we've got is the Ventru, who are uh, the, the kind of the classic regal vampire. You know, they, they have the ability to command people, order them to do things, dominate minds, dominate animals because and animalism as a as a as a discipline has also evolved in second edition that at higher levels it also brings up the animalistic element of people uh completely aloof um they are that that regal vampire that sits on a board of representatives and orders people to do things or or is the the old lord who has survived into the modern ages and masquerades as a as some CEO of some corporation. Um, I kind of feel that the Ventru work better as NPCs. Um, maybe, but also there's the element that power corrupt. The, the other classic power corrupts, but also power drives you mad as you become obsessed with keeping control of it. And that's why um, their, their clan bane is about uh, keeping control and and you know, you you have a trouble of like keep keeping your keeping command of yourself while also trying to look out for yourself. It's and that's why the Malkavian clan is part of them. Or uh, uh, Malkavian, sorry, bloodline is part of the Ventry. So the, the Malkavians are, are even more crazy uh, and are actually you know madness personified. Um, but the the Ventry are are the madness that comes from trying to you know be a vampire, control your, your lands, your territory. Um, so are Malkavians in Requiem? Or yes, they... they're a bloodline. They've always been a bloodline. Okay. So most nice. of most of those clans that everyone complained were missing because, you know, because Requiem pared everything down and started from scratch in some respects. You know, yeah, those concepts are fine, but they're very... 
they're very narrow concepts and much better fit a, a bloodline. And I much prefer how how the 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 Ventru are again in this version. Uh, I like how animalism is part of their discipline set, so they're they're commanding things. They're not they don't use animalism in the same way that the Gangrel use animalism. The Gangrel use it because they feel closer to the beast. The Ventru use animalism because to them everyone else is just petty are just pathetic little animals so they're really closer to the original brams not the film the book yeah um and that um dracula has a, a kind of great pride sees himself as from a regal line when he commands the wolves uh, it's very much as uh, a figure of mastery yeah now so that's all the clans and everything else is in the game there's either a bloodlines and there's a lot a lot a lot of bloodlines we're not going to go through them um, there's some nice ones there's like uh, that deva bloodline which allows command through smells and scents uh olfactory so i know that bloodline was literally based on perfume i was gonna say there's <laughs> always a good one and that may once players twig that they were like i am not going near her i'm not letting her i'm not letting this deva touch me because i can't stand to feel like I'll get controlled just because I smelt her. Like, no. Um, and of course, there's some of the classics that are like, you know, uh, the some more kind of elements of shape-shifting, like a vampire becoming like literal blood and flowing up walls. I think some of those bloodlines exist and there's some other crazy ones, but there's tons and tons and tons. But the fact is, Requiem also allows you with your, with your, your, your storyteller to design a bloodline and characters can join bloodlines quite easily so you're not you don't have to be born to a bloodline you can it's more of a way of you're shaping your corrupted soul to be corrupted in a very particular manner and and following going down that route allows you to join a bloodline uh, but there are other clans uh there's that are mentioned they're not playable yet um there's the Akud, there is the Julii, the Julii being a clan of quite a lot of importance because they feature in uh, Requiem for Rome, the historical setting for Requiem. And they, in Requiem uh, for Rome, they fulfill the, the role of the Ventru. So there's a whole big question about whether the, the Ventru and the Julii are the same clan or something else is going on there. And of course, the Julii have some link to the, the dreaded um, ephemeral beings known as the Strix. Uh, and the Strix led to the Julii's downfall, and apparently the Strix are back, and they're going after the Ventru. Um, and then there's another one called the, I can't pronounce it, where is it, the Pajavica? Uh, but the whole point about showing these other clans is that I think Requiem is interesting because it allowed, it, I think it, the idea is that the there's no one knows what the, no one really knows what the origins of vampirism is. Certain vampires were spontaneously created, apparently, by curses from God, like uh, uh, Longinus and Dracula. And really, I think Requiem gets this idea of convergent evolution, evolution where similar, cur similar curses or supernatural entities over time by simply being blood-feeding creatures who have to interact with humanity have evolved along similar routes that in modern times are near enough indistinguishable except for the particular powers that they they have 
And I think that's quite interesting when we compare to the idea of there is a sing- singular creator of all vampires, which I'm trying to think in va- in a lot of vampire films and TV. Um, I don't know, Sam, whether you with other things you read, like some whether some certain particular books or mytho- or or film or TV, whether they have a singular vampire creator. Um. Well, I'm, I mean, yeah, usually, I think. Like, is that more would... common or less common? More common, I think. Is that more common? Hmm. I don't know. Like, give me an example of. Well, let's go with interview. Well, let's go with Van Rice's stuff. There's a okay. sing. That's a singular creator of vampires, isn't it? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think if there's other examples of where there's vampires, but there's no real common, you know, creator of the vampires or common source of vampires in. You know, I think. Any ideas, David? Do they go into the details of who created vampires and being human? Uh, no. No. No, I think that's just left very mysterious, and there's no attempt well, they, to they go hint right back at to it. A bit. Oh, really... yeah, they hint that they're kind of. Uh, don't they hint, hint they're like Aztec? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I, that's a good point, we'll say. Uh, TV series for. Um, from Dust Till Dawn is really good because it goes with an Aztec snake origin kind of uh, of mm-hmm. vampirism, yeah. which I really, really, really like. When I saw that, I was like, yes, something that isn't bloody bats all the time. <laughs> um, uh, I'll have to check that out. I just, um, you know, I like the original film, um, although it was kind of a slight well, the TV series is a different beast. I would okay. Say. Yeah, I'll have to go back um, and check that out. Yeah, like, uh, well... Um, it, it does a few things differently. Like, uh, so Richie Gecko uh, is less creepy in yeah. this one uh, than the is that by merit of not being quite Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino yeah. yeah, so they make him quite a bit more sympathetic, and he's still like awkward and you know a bit messed up, but he's not really predatory in the same way. Um, and I, I think they did that so they could sort of give him a love interest kind of thing um the the guy i actually forget the actor's name uh who plays seth gecko is really good and you can tell he's looked at george clooney's performance and but without copying it but he really like you know he sort of reflects Mm. george clooney's performance and you know sort of delivers it in a similar way but kind of takes it to a new level because of all the, you know, like uh, they've got like, you know, fresh writing in there and stuff that, you know, obviously it's a completely different kind of thing, a lot more serious than the original movie. So I I love the movie uh, just for what it is, but uh, they actually took the same mythology and expanded on it and made it a lot more, you know, credible, I guess, if people don't Season like two is out on Netflix. We really do need to watch it all again, I think. Yeah. I think that's mostly post-Madman is binging, <laughs> binging from dusk to dawn. Um, okay, so I think um, we should move on to talk about the Covenants. So the Covenants represent different uh, political, philosophical, or religious factions within the game. Uh, there are five major ones, which I would say, I would say major ones to the Western world and others do exist. Um, so the Carthians, I really like simply because they allow me to run a setting that was not the typical, I'm the prince of the city, and you're my primogen council, 
and everyone else else is below me and everyone has to show you know fealty to me and 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 give me you know i dish out the territory to so carthians essentially is they they want societies that ref, that are taken from modern culture so they aren't feudal in nature and that can mean a lot so everyone when the first edition i think everyone thought carthians were basically communists but they're not because you can have everything from a very a senate style thing where you don't have a council of primogen you don't have a prince you have a, a board of representatives who leads the the vampires or you can have something that's like proportional represent a parliamentary proportional representation of vampires which let's think about it would be freaking nuts like that would be the worst situation to ever be in or you could have something that's to the other extreme you could have a something that's uh, essentially a a a, a religious uh, kind of fascist religious dictatorship. So you can have uh, a, a vampire society set up in that manner. So there's a lot of things you can do with the Carthians, and I re- and that means you know where when people go, oh, we're Carthians. Well, which city are you in, and, and really, what's their society like? Going from the Carthians that in my setting in Manchester to say the Carthians that say control Sheffield. There could be a lot of difference between how those two groups operate and then even greater or actually more similarities depending upon other cities you go to throughout the world um so david um how in your in the game you took pine were the carthians were, were the carthians a feature or ever used um the carthians i think were going to be um a potentially a much bigger role um but uh, one of the other players uh, matt his character was introduced to them, uh, didn't go down that, that particular route. Um, they were attempting to introduce some form of democracy to New Orleans, um, but uh, you know, I was very uh, wrapped up in the Order Dracul. Um, the Lancair Sanctum ran the city, um, and Matt's character was very um, uh, immersed in the Invictus. Um, again, yeah. the circle of the chrome were there, and they they worked in terms of um, another power that we didn't fully engage with. But it was really um, Invictus Lancaster Sanctum and Audrey de Cool. I think there's a lot you can do with with Requiem, where you can you can get a lot by, and this is what I've done is you can really limit if you put limitations into the game when you're setting up your game, you can really get a lot out of it. So, for example, in the first season of our vampire chronicle that we played and that i ran um so as i said sam's character was a, a carthian david but everyone in the playgroup had to be a carthian or at least a carthian sympath- sympathizer and that really allowed us to to look at how 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 well you are part of the carthians there's a lot of internal rivalries going on so mm-hmm. i mean sam like what do you i mean it's been a while since we've played like but what did you enjoy about just playing with the Carth as just the carthians and focusing on their kind of politics and um i just enjoy that kind of gossip sort of you know backstabbing kind of behavior really it's a lot of fun to do that and but I mean, how did you feel? Because like you, know, you often see like on in films and TV, where you hear about vampire. Let's go. I'm gonna mention it a second time: Vampire the Masquerade type games, where you've got the Prince of the City, which is also, let's be honest, ripped off 
exists a lot and appears in like the originals. How did you, how did it feel knowing that it was actually a board of representatives representing each clan and each covenant and having a, a chairman and, you know, your character was the child of the, the, the spokesman. So we didn't have a herald. We had a spokesman of the, uh, of the city. So how did you, how did you feel like, as did it feel modern? I prefer that kind of like in Blade, the yuppie, yuppie boardroom board of vampires, as opposed to the, you know, well, like ancient kind of sat on a throne. Uh, yes, um, I, I, you know, I, I prefer vampires in suits pretty much. That's that's I enjoy playing that. Um, you see a lot of that kind of in being human as well. Yeah, um, I think it's very interesting in the later seasons of Being Human when you have a lot of flashbacks with a Hal, and he um, and you see how he goes into into the forties and fifties, and you have that kind of noir vampires. Yeah, that, that I really enjoy that kind of representation of you know like a vampire hierarchy. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think Carthians allow you to look at a lot of different. You can create lots of different hierarchies for your game. Um, One suggestion in terms of um, inspiration, if you want to go down that route of it being a more corporate structure, uh, is the um, Amazon TV show Mr. Robot. Oh yeah, I, I keep meaning to watch that because one of my friends is really into it. So we'll probably watch that after Mad Men or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so I think with the Carthians, they allow you to, there's a few particular powers I think vampires can learn. One of them's called Carthian Law, which is really, can be quite powerful, which is where you've essentially established as the, the Carthians have established what is and isn't permitted in the city, meaning when enough Carthians see the law being broken, they they on a supernatural level it's enforced and the the um the lawbreaker is in particular manners you know penalized and uh impeded like they lose their powers and and certain things so they're easier to track down i really like that idea that it's almost this kind of like gestalt power to enforce their rule um but that assumes obviously that all the Carthians are on board and want to have those particular laws in place. Uh, one thing I introduced in my game because we had like a, this. So the head of the the was it the head of the Carthians? Yeah, the head of the Carthians in my setting got got destroyed, and or at least their chairman, uh, not the chairman, the their representative on the board got destroyed. They had to elect a new one, but that also meant there was a rivalry between the the more senatorial type Carthians versus the more parliamentary Carthians and also the the small anarcho syndicate uh, Carthians who just wanted to break the power structure down even further and part of that was having it all led up to an election so I had I came up with the idea that the Carthians have a way of mystically um, sealing a ballot box and the whole thing then was trying to how could how could you get round the um, this knowing how could you get around the ballot box and actually you know you know fix the election without breaking the mystical seal on it and and trying to work out how to do that um that was quite interesting because sam and the other players eventually got set up by by their uh by their patron 
and got uh, sold out, but also at the same time got rescued by the by the Ordo Dracul, who in the setting had cut, had been banned from the elections, so banned from sorry banned from having a Senate seat, and were pretty much considered the bad guys, but actually now had come to their rescue. So I'd done a lot of like, who do you trust, who don't you trust kind of shit going down. And that was quite good fun. And that's basically how season one of The Chronicle ended, was the car, was the Auto Dracul coming back to the city and being allowed in the city. Um, so yeah, you can do a lot with them. I really enjoyed that. Circle of the Crone. Um, now they're kind of, they're not really pagans. They're, they're, because if have you ever read the um, Circle of Chrome book, David? I haven't. No. So they're presented as more um, the idea of it presents the idea that the it's more like the, there's paganistic elements to them, but that's more like how they ma how they how this kind of like their rituals and stuff manifests. And it's more about the idea of a witch cult, which is I think a very old Victorian concept that you know that. Paganism is this cult that has put, has existed in society and gone th down through the ages, and essentially, in Circle of Crone, the um, you know vampires and the Circle of Crone are this witch cult that that takes different forms in different places. So there isn't a cult that's existed though for for eons and you know through the ages, but it it just remanifests. It's it's quite interesting in that sense i do like them as a as a setting as a sorry as a group because uh again you've got a very different power structure so you have like a hierophant or some sort of of uh matriarchal crone type figure and below them you have those of the covenant who are indoct indoctrinated into the covenant and then you have the choir who are kind of like the ones that that form the main part of the 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 religious group of them um and they have obviously lots of blood magic called Kruak. Um, and they represent a very different type of uh, group to the Lancare Sanctum because the Order, or, sorry, the Circle of Chrome is all about recognizing that vampires are outside of the cycle of life, but knowing that they have to engage in it in order to change the world around them. And, and it's all about understanding how they can, can cause change and command it. So a lot of their rituals also um, involve, you know, the, the cycle of like the, uh, there's um, the cycle of the year. So they look at like, you know, how, how you start with the child and they become the, the virgin and the hero and then eventually get the crone and the, the old man and, and that kind of uh, mythology um, that appears in their rituals. That also means their rituals are centered around parts of the air. And I think I think I did one bit. Was it Sam that your your group were invited to a circle of crone? So again, the Carthians aren't can also have allowed for dual membership. So we had some characters that were, I think were Carthian and circle of the crone. Mm -hmm. But I think your characters were invited along to like a circle of the crone ritual at like a harvest festival, which is where they bring along a bunch of mortals who feed on this food, and then they ritually slay them on the food, and all the blood is put onto this food. But normally, vampires in Requiem, unless they do the Blush of Life, unless they use Vitae to enact their Blush of Life, can't eat food. But when you do this ritual, they can and they gain sustenance from it. It was really kind of crazy to play out. And I think the Carthians present were just like, just what kind of the hell is going on? <laughs> um, 
so I think you can do a lot of stuff with that. Again, in my setting, I've got like uh, one Carth, uh, sorry, one circle of the Chrome Cult, which is based around Hathor, and another one that's based around Synonos. So, and one is one is a cult that apparently dates back to the Roman occupation of the of the area that that it makes up Manchester, and the other one is a more Victorian uh, cult that obviously dates back to the you know the the uh, the the great exploration and tomb raiding uh, in the Victorian period. Uh, any other opinions of the Circular Crone? Why they're kind of cool? Uh, in the game I played in, they were uh, in your leans linked to uh, the Voodoo. Oh, of and, course. Um, and that made for very flavorful um, NPCs who were interested in the machinations of the other factions, but also apart from. And so I thought they were they were very um, mysterious characters to engage with. And could never fully grasp what their end game was, and I like that. Mm. Um, they've also got something called the cacophony, which is new in this edition. So it's a it's almost like some sort of like understanding the ebbs and flows of 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 the human world and kind of leaving a message in there like in amongst the noise and it's by recognizing it that you can spread information and that's how apparently Kruak is is spread from around uh the world uh so that's quite cool um the invictus um is there much to say about these guys they're quite they're, they're the classic you know uh feudal vampires with the prince of the city at the top and and his lackeys at the bottom. Of course, you can you can flavor it by like having like a, a CEO or a manager, managing director. You can really you can at least take the concept of that pyramid structure and 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 add a different theme to them. Uh, I also like they introduced. Uh, I think it was in the Invictus uh, clan, uh, Covenant book was the idea of the dynastic houses. So that's so when one vampire wakes up, another one goes to sleep. So you've got this kind of this partnership of two elders who are able to also through the blood and through as they when they sleep and stuff they can at least communicate some information to prepare the the elder that's in torpor for when he wakes back up so he can assume full command so there's no uh break in that cycle of power they're very much um i would say linked to deva and um ventru Yes, I would be. I think, um, for that reason, it would be very interesting uh, to maybe play a um, a Nosferatu Invictus or Control Gangrel. Fear. Yeah, yeah, or Gangrel. Yeah, um, I think Sam, you your your character was on the verge of joining the Invictus at one point. Um, yeah, possibly, uh, but uh, that was kind of a smokescreen. It wasn't. Oh right. Oh yeah. Was it? We did some fun stuff with them. So I think I added in into the Invictus in so what I ran, I added in a um uh a rival cult to the Circular Crone, so the um cult of Mithras. So they they're a um a uh, something that's detailed in mythologies. So that's an expansion book from first edition. And what I liked about them, the reason I did that is because the cult of Mithras has a very good kind of Roman uh, element to them because you know Mithras, Mithraism, uh, you know slaying of bulls and everything for power. But I felt that 
that meant that I could give like a an occult element to the Invictus that was hidden within them, um, and then could be a, a, a you know a secretive rival to the the Circle of the Crown and obviously to the Lancare Sanctum, because you know you get always getting requiem this kind of balance between the first and second estate, the Invictus and the Lancare Sanctum. And I really just like the idea that there was this little group of Invictus who had their own occult practices, who who um, who looked down at the Lancaster Sanctum as, as upstarts, especially because if you consider that Mithras, as a mythological character, has a lot in common with Jesus, uh, and thus with Longinus as well, because Longinus in Vampire Requiem has a lot of parallels with Jesus as well. Um, but yeah, the Invictus are the classic setting to use, um, and they have, again, they have like particular... I, I think they've got some some particular abilities i can't quite remember what the um the special powers are but there's a few that again uh, they've passed down um the lancet ex sanctum uh david what do you like about them okay so um from memory the lancet sanctum um believe that um there is a god the christian god uh, and that they have a space within his creation that vampires are divine because they are used to discipline humanity. So there's all sorts of um, somewhat narcissistic, ritualistic elements are um, part of Christian mythology. And I, I think that that's distinctive enough from, say, the Invictus to give you some really interesting plot hooks. Hmm. Um, yeah, I really like them, uh, the Lanco Sanctum. I would, again, this is where I would say in Requiem, all of these factions I really like. There's something about them, all of them I could quite happily explore. And you could you could focus the game on just one of these covenants or, or look at how the covenant interacts with other ones. Um, I really like the idea of their Theban sorcery. Um, which has a very Egyptian kind of basis to it. Uh, I like also how there's different um, versions of the Testament of Longinus and different creeds. So there's like, there's like, they've got different creeds because the 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 Lancet Sanctum have have um, it's like having Catholics and Protestants. So you've got, uh, I think you've got like, um, I think it's called the Westminster Creed, and then you've got the uh, what's the other one going to be called? I can't remember, but you've got different things so you can flavor them towards being more Protestant or more Catholic or more Eastern Orthodox or more, or also you can have them as more Jewish or, or even more Islamic. And um, the thing is, uh, them being like, you know, like I said, the, the, the wolf of God that hunts, hunts down sin, they, they are, they are in some respects, they are sin eaters, um, they they are happy to commit sins to keep the uh, the flock of sheep in order. Um, yeah, it's really narcissistic, isn't it? They they can be quite horrible people. Um, and it's all justified. And it's all justified because it is the will of God. God God wills it. Um, I, I feel with the Lancaster Sanctum, um, the Dark Ages might have some interesting hooks that you could perhaps use. So uh, maybe a continuation of some of the the various schisms. And um, maybe uh, occult histories within uh, Christian theology. Um, so I think that maybe Vampire Dark Ages could be useful. 
Well, there's Vampire the Dark Ages, easy. and there's also um, Ancient Mysteries, which has a bit of detail on the night em- on the uh, the I think it was called the Night Empire or something like that. So the Dark Ages in Vampire the Requiem is quite different to the 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 setup in um, in Vampire the Dark Ages, which is obviously based on Masquerade. But you can definitely go to Vampire, you know, Vampire the Masquerade, um, the Dark Ages setting. The books, all the books from that are great because again, there's books that detail all the her- all the Christian heresies at the time, like the Bogomils and the Cathars, and that is just ripe for use with the Lancair uh, Sanctum and looking at how the Lancair Sanctum have. You could look at how they evolve over time. Um, and looking at how you've got different schisms uh, within the church over that time that leads to you know, the what is it the Council of Nicaea and all those different points in in the history of Christianity that um, that leads to all these different faction, internal factions being created. And I think to look at that from with this group of religious vampires would be quite good fun. Like like the fall of like the fall of Constantinople. Um, Again, Requiem has its own kind of take on on some of those events, and uh, and uh, it'd be it'd be really interesting to look at that, uh, and it'd be, it'd make for great flashbacks as well. And I think that's something I've not um, I've not really done yet in Requiem is have done flashbacks, but I would like to do that at some point to do like brief historical asides. Pretty much um, the entire structure of the six-year campaign I was in, uh, Chronicle, um, it felt like a campaign towards the end. It was good. Um, Use flashbacks. So it began with uh, the characters um, staked in torpor and having the stakes removed and being interrogated about their role in a significant figure within the city. And then we kept doing flashbacks um, to try and remember what had happened because our memories had, had been distorted through the process. So, and it, it worked really well, it, um, very cinematic, just picking out key scenes and then coming back to the present and so forth. It's important to say flashbacks for Vampire Requiem is quite important because vampires have a, have a elder vampires because of the fog of eternity. When they go into torpor, so when they need to thin their blood, uh, because as a vampire gets older, the blood gets thicker, more powerful, and they're led to they gain banes because of that, and they become they gain they get harmed by different things like by crosses or holy water and so forth. But they also have to feed; they can only then feed on vampiric blood. Um, but it, the, the using flashbacks for vampire the requiem is quite fun then because vampires have these elders, and, and how the fog of eternity works means they can have a uh, have. Um, not the most accurate memory of history, meaning you can explore history and you don't have to play the game historically accurate. You can have something weird happen, but you can say, well, that is what happened, or at least that's what they remembered, and that's what you're playing through is their memory. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, what do you like about Lancaster Sanctum? Come on, religious I vampires, church um... vampires. There must be something you like about that, Sam. I know you like kind of Christian Catholic iconography. I, iconography, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't actually know much else about them um, because I know I really from from playing like you would just explain as we went along. So I I haven't actually read 
But I think no. did we do some scenes where you watch like kind of you were jo- you were you were told your characters yeah, joined had, like a, yeah, no, we, a service? No, we, well, we had uh, because we had one of your NPCs who was kind of uh, what what would be a, a god botherer type oh, of yeah, yes. NPC who kept <laughs> coming round to, to us, and 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 uh, so some people would like uh, I think my character would react a bit more politely. Um, but other people would just be like, no, and um, but sort of trying to get hooks into people and being like, oh, you should really, you should really come to a service sometime. And I think kept making excuses. Cleanse you of your like, sins. Yeah, yeah and um, that was quite amusing. But um, yeah, I think um, I think that that's the fun thing with that is that you can you can you can play it quite seriously but you can inject a little bit of comedy in there and kind of you know just... well i think they represent the whole the whole interesting aspect of catholicism which is it's fine to do a lot of evil shit so long as you well i think you, you, know, you have that um although um catholicism confess. isn't really a conversion type of no uh, denomination so you know you, you have that but then the other oh. part of it is you know evangelical wanker sanctum would very, be scary that's actually quite an interesting idea oh, makes you shiver <laughs> um but going back david you were saying about your your vadoon element of the of the circle of crone in in the setting that you were playing i mean that also means you you could technically have some sort of weird group that straddles the Lancare Sanctum and the Circle of Chrome by by that that mashup of 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 uh, religion there that you get because of course they're portraying these old uh, African spirits as um, as uh, patron saints. Yes, um, definitely. I, I think that uh, one of the things that's, that's really interesting uh, on the other end of the spectrum. Um, from the the kind of the attempt to convert someone out of concern for um, uh, their well-being or their spiritual well-being, there's always a sense in the chronicle that you weren't sure who, if any, really believed in the creed of uh, oh, yeah. the, the uh, Lanka Sanctum. And I, I believe with second edition. Um, they're, they're much more overt in terms of uh, the covenants are essentially uh, deceptions. They are ways of trying to impose some sort of meaning and order onto yeah. eternity. Um, and I think the Lancaster Sanctum are particularly good um, for that exploring that that angle. The uh, remind me because uh, one of the the um, the, the what I call him it wasn't called the sheriff of the city. He was the constable of the city yeah because i change all the terms in my setting to make Mm it it's amazing how the game feels very different the moment you change all the terms um but he was uh an islamic vampire but he wasn't actually um well no he wasn't you know he was a he was a vampire of arabic descent but he wasn't islamic he was a um he was actually like uh old kind of persian kind of uh so he he and a few others were again circle of the chrome, but they represented the the old religions of of that part of the world, not not Islam. So that was kind of fun looking at how you know they they interacted with the spirits of Manchester's uh, Curry Mile because the um, 
because you've got the spirits that kind of come with the people there and, and represent the beliefs of that area. Um, I think that's also, I'm going to go back quickly say about, about the circle of Chrome is that they can interact with spirits. They believe they know how to, but the question is, it's up to you as a, as a storyteller to decide whether, whether, they know what they're they're doing and they know what they're doing is the correct way of doing it doing it or it's just it just happens that they've learned how to do it or they don't know what they're doing and they're making it all up or it's somewhere in the between like they've made it up and every so often a spirit an ephemeral spirit from the from the the hissle from the from the shadow uh comes over and interacts with them so i've i've looked at that in in the game and that's quite interesting um and that leads us to the Auto Dracul. Um, go on, David, you can talk about this. By far my favourite uh, covenant. Um, so the Auto Dracul are quite different to all the groups we've mentioned so far in that, um, that for the most part, they operate in the shadows. And in fact, uh, you do not necessarily know who is in the Auto Dracul, even when you are a member of the Auto Dracul. Uh, you have to be um, invited in, and the currency within the Audra Dracul is knowledge. So it's uh, an exchange of ideas, um, and in some respects, that this can be presented as actually quite uh, noble or lofty, um, except that the ideas that are being used um, don't really have any connection to morality. So um, some of the things that the Audra Dracul uh, study are ways in which um, you can overcome the limitations of the vampiric condition. So um, they're called coils, and you have um, coil of the beast, um, coils of uh, blood and banes, and it's about overcoming the limitations of being a vampire. So my Mechit uh, character um, learned over time how to withstand um, fire. Um, it's about, I think, the ultimate end game, uh, doesn't have to be, but can be, um, to reach a point where they no longer um, are held back by the weaknesses of being a vampire. They become a kind of, um, they transcend to a level beyond um, the vampiric and become uh, the ultimate apex predator, but one that's completely in control all the time. So it's a, for me... It, it felt like it's a covenant that's based around knowledge um, and control. Yeah, they're they're a, they're they're kind of a, a an occult philosophical scientific covenant uh, because they're really that mashup between how do you reshape the vampiric soul to overcome its limitations? How do you reshape the vampiric body to overcome its limitations? And and also part of that means that there's occult knowledge that comes into that to also combine with those two things. I really like them because they've got like, they've got the whole alchemy element to them. Uh, they've got the whole kind of chantries and, and a very, you, you could run them as like a kind of a pseudo university, but like as a mystery cult. Um, so you get into the one chantry, but they could also be rival chantries uh, between different schools of thought or even within the same chantry. So I have thought about running uh, an Ordo Dracul centered chronicle that runs at some time period in the stuff that I've already run and just look at how the Ordo Dracul got back into the city and like the, the internal rivalry between them as you've got 
one school of thought doing one particular set of experiments on vampires and another lot doing another type of experimentation, maybe using spirits and possibly pissing off the Strix and stuff like that. I think that'd be um, really good fun. Um, I also, I like, um, again, they're based around um, the idea that Dracula was cursed by God uh, and he is the, uh, the origin of this covenant, apparently. Um, and, you know, again, the idea that they want to transcend the limitations of, of their vampirism is interesting because it, it's, in some respects, makes them a little bit more in line with the Circle of the Crown, but maybe the Circle of the Crown see them as upstart heretics. And then also with the Lancair Sanctum, they're... Uh, they're definitely seen as upstarts because you know who are you to transcend your curse from God? Um, so well, exactly, they actually challenge the yeah. uh, Lancaster Sanctum's whole philosophy because um, if they're able to do that, um, that suggests that there's more of an element of free will than the Lancaster Sanctum would uh, like vampires to believe. Um, also, they're they're possibly the one covenant that's. Uh, the best crossover friendly with other uh, games uh, because of their they're more likely to interact with ghosts and spirits and other supernatural creatures uh, yeah my character and... ended up um, entering into various packs with demons and oh, um... wow <laughs> and yeah so uh, there was one which was uh, an arch uh, arc demon of sloth um, and uh, yeah it was basically um, bargaining uh, in an order to call fashion um, information with this demon um, for its uh, for its assistance um, that didn't necessarily um, pan out brilliantly for the character depending on how you you take it um, with regards to um, so there there are a lot of elements um, Belial's brood um, who I would love us to spend more time on but um, we were discussing before we start recording that we might leave that until uh, the Secrets of the Covenant book come out. But um, things like uh, the Old New World of Darkness um, Inferno book, uh, that any elements of spirits, ghosts, demons um, are all fodder for a, a, an Order Dracul campaign. I think you could do some really, really interesting things with that. You can see an Order Dracul being quite good friends with a, with a, with a, Sunni, with a Sunni eater from Geist. I think, I think they, they'd be... In some respects, quite a good good amount of respect between those two types of characters, because uh, you 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 had mentioned at one point uh, thinking mummy with uh, a um, mecha cult, and I think maybe Audra Dracul would be a really interesting. Yeah, um, or even um, even Invictus might even fit in quite well with mummy because of the the hierarchy of the pyramid. Um, there's a lot. There's so much you can do with this. It's ridiculous. Um, Sam, any anything you like about the idea of the Autodracul, the classic kind of philosopher vampires trying to overcome their own? No. I mean, the only thing you've experienced about that was I think watching um, watching a Autodracul having to go through the the chrysalis where they they try and overcome and develop their coils. I don't remember that. Oh, it was a whole weird kind of like occult kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You were just watching it going, what madness is this? And then I think it all kind of went wrong and and your your uh, long-running enemy, Zard Zilber, kind of like you know, impaling 
the the person with a with a stake because he was trying to make a point that they weren't good enough anymore. Uh, sure, I would remember. It's in that. the notes I somewhere. Yeah. I haven't read them in a while. It's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so other covenants. We as I said, there's Belar's breed. We're not going to talk about. There's seven who somehow relate to um, the Strix. Uh, seven have changed a bit. Like there was a book on seven, and they are. Uh, there were multiple different versions given in that one book, so you could run them in different ways. So they're a bit of a mystery. Uh, they seem to be hunters of, you know, killers of vampires, uh, perhaps even killing vampires that have been possessed by the Strix or created by the Strix. Um, is there anything you want to say about them, David, or shall we just leave them for now? I mean, with regards to the Strix, it might be worth pointing out to um, people who've uh, got into Vampire the Requiem 2nd Edition a little later than when it was initially released. It was actually uh, released as uh, Blood and Smoke, the Strix Chronicle. Um, and Strix have a very significant role to play in Vampire, the Requiem 2nd Edition. Uh, there's a whole chapter on them about how to design Strix characters, uh, use them as antagonists. Um, the, the Strix play quite a big role in the, the campaign I was in. And the GM said that um, they presented him with a real problem when it came to motivations and tricks who feed on uh, vampires. Uh, they don't really have any long-term goals. They just act on whim. And so it's whatever takes their interest at that particular time is how they'll behave. So um, a covenant... Uh, that engages more heavily with the Strix, you might find there's some interesting tools in second edition to to develop them further. Um, yeah. Um, there are, the Strix, we'll get onto them a bit later. There are some other covenants that are listed um, at the end of the section on covenants. Uh, Legion of the Dead, the Gallows Post, Children's Crusade, the Tenth Choir. In Dance Macabre, which is a wonderful book for Vampire the Requiem that came out at the end of the run of first edition, had the Children of the Thorn. Do you remember them, Sam? Vaguely. So the vampire that was killing people that was coming through mirrors because they're oh, tied yeah, to the yeah, Fae from yeah. Changeling the Lost. How he makes vampires more scary? Tie them to Changeling the Lost. Tie them to the Fae because the Fae are freaking eldritch entities that are very, very scary. And um, uh, just the idea they can open up portals through the hedge to this other realm is good fun. Um, there are some other ideas for covenants or minor factions in mythologies and also uh, some, some of the other books um, for Vampire the Requiem. Um, also in Dance Macabre Wars, oh, I can't remember their name, but they're tied to the God Machine. So they're able to communicate through like through the radio to the god machine, which is kind of interesting. If you want to bring in that part of the Chronicles of Darkness into your game, especially if you want to tie your game to maybe uh, uh, Demon the Descent. I would love to try. I think that that might be the way to use um, Demon the Descent because I know we'll we'll have a, a, an episode on that. I absolutely love all the ideas of Demon the Descent Um I've just struggled a little bit with regards to coming up with a, a concept for uh, a chronicle set within it. So maybe the vampires who engage with the god machine could be a really nice way of, of, of bringing those in. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so there's there's a there's a there's a lot, and you can I think it's it's quite obvious you can create new covenants to fit the the lo the locality of where you you set your games because you know the covenants in Japan are going to be different to the covenants in Korea. They're going to be different to the covenants in South Africa or in Brazil. Um, you're going you can there's such diversity in this setting. You don't have a a simple binary this is who controls the city and these are the bad guys who controls the city can be as simple as the invictus or as complicated as all the covenants somehow having a balance of power or somewhere in between uh or having no covenants at all you could quite happily run a setting where they aren't there um and that is why i like requiem and what it does uh for modernizing vampire so at that point, um, we should then move on after a brief, after this brief break coming up. We'll, uh, we'll talk about what new things turn up in the rules for Vampire the Requiem and how that ties to playing a vampire. briefly go through or as brief as possible um the things that make vampires vampires because i think vampire the requiem um re-injects into into um this edition uh some things that are maybe closer to what vampires are in particular movies and books and mythology uh and and they also expand on some things that were in the first edition um so obviously vampires feed on blood they use that to heal. They can uh, use it to feed to other people to turn them into vampires and use it to feed to people to make them ghouls. They have some control over people. Uh, so you have the blood bonds. So blood is, of course, very important. It can also be used to create the blush of life. So they, they appear human. Um, but there's some other particulars uh, that they've... Um, they've expanded upon in this game. So I think they've changed certain certain rules about what things cause bashing and lethal damage to vampires. So vampires um, vampires don't take aren't as easily harmed by lethal damage uh, compared to mortals because of course the flesh is dead. That means when a vampire is shot, the bullet goes goes through, it makes a nice little hole, but it doesn't cause any bleeding um, because the the blood that is there is inert. It isn't the, the thing that the vampire has ingested and transmutated into vitae. But a vampire can do the blush of life and then appear to bleed. Um, equally, if, say, someone uses a chainsaw on a vampire's stomach and causes their innards to be spilt across the road, um, a vampire isn't, isn't, you know, still even treats that as bashing damage because, well, you know, it's just... It's just awful to them. It's not really doing anything. Um, so I think they, they've, they've made a change on what things do lethal damage to vampires and modified that a bit. Um, they also modified a few things like the importance of uh, blood potency in the game and that vampires with a lower blood potency are dealt less damage due to sunlight and fire, which normally do like aggravated damage, so it's damage that's very hard to heal, compared to vampires that have a higher blood potency. 
So I quite like that as a the idea that as you become a, a stronger vampire, uh, a more powerful one, you're more you're you are more vampiric and you are more tainted by the curse of vampirism. Um, how do you feel about that? I like it. It's more of a risk reward yes. than a, a, a simple progression of become more powerful, consume other vampires, become more powerful. To have a, a, a there might be a reason that you would want to. Um, keep your blood potency low depending on the nature of the chronicle uh, if you're trying to infiltrate groups if you're with humans a lot um, you might want to stay at as low as possible blood potency um, for as long as you can and I think that that's that's really flavorful it, it, it makes it feel more like it's a, a way of simulating the experience of being a vampire rather than a, a kind of leveling up mechanism Yes, um, and I think also it's very important that in this, and I will say this in comparison to Maspro, yeah, there's number four, reference back to the to the classic World of Darkness version. Because we don't have generation in this game, because vampires don't have a common origin, vampires increase in blood potency naturally as well. So every 50 years, uh, I think it's every 50 years, maybe every 25 years, a vampire naturally increases in blood potency as they age. So you don't have to go, and you can spend experience points as well to increase blood potency as a vampire becomes more mystically, supernaturally powerful as they, they practice to manipulate the blood within them. So there's no real reason to go out and diabolize other vampires, unlike in Masquerade, where the only way to increase your mystical prowess with your blood was to perform diablery. So you know the 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 risk reward within this game at least at least you have an option to do it they're not going oh well you can do it but you really 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 shouldn't but this is the only way you can do it whereas this way is if you want to increase blood potency there are easier ways and more difficult ways and there are risks and rewards with those so i i feel vampire the requiem isn't penalizing you too as much for actually trying to become a more powerful vampire it hasn't stopped you doing it um i think that's a very significant um change because also getting rid of not having generation makes you know generation reinforced in 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 that game the game which will not be mentioned the idea that there was a common origin whereas uh this one obviously doesn't i think that um by giving you more options of how you can increase in blood potency, um, that for the, um, the person, the storyteller running the game, it gives you more license, I think, to be uh, perhaps more punitive if people do try to take the really quick route yes. to become more powerful. Um, because it becomes almost like a running joke that, oh, no one's supposed to do it, but actually everyone kind of has because that's the way you you improve if there are other ways and that's just a very fast way of doing it um then i think it's reasonable to then um attach certain drawbacks should we say yeah uh the other thing i really like that they they've um expanded upon so or they've they've added i feel like it's added back in because this was never a thing in in the previous version of vampire and it wasn't really um anything in vampire the right poem originally is kindred senses so Blood potency also has an influence on how vampires can can sense the world around them. Vampires now actually can see 
not in full darkness, but they have a degree of night sight. And they can also, they, they just seem drawn to blood, like they all see the blood spatter on the floor. They'll, they'll smell the, the, the smallest drop of blood that will be in the room, or they can, they'll, they'll see the, um, the pulsing vein of someone when they're you know, out on a hunt. They can see and hear someone's heartbeat. I really, really like that, and that really reinforces, again, that you are this supernatural predator. Um, so how do you feel about that? Having, like, having those absence from the game just makes... You know, you just go out for blood. It just seems well, that's just what you do. Whereas having these things of color, how you hunt, mm-hmm. really reinforces the vampiric na- uh, you know, the the being a vampire. How do you feel about that? What do you like about that? Or or what films or TV do you see that in and go? That's really good, and that's what comes to mind when I when I'm playing my character hunting down someone in a club. Um, I don't know. Can you can you uh, sort of. So you know, so so you know, like a vampire can can more easily see in the dark, uh, which is always useful. Um, they can smell mm-hmm. blood, and as they become more powerful, their blood potency. An older vampire, more powerful one, is more able to smell blood and hunt using that ability. Uh, they can also sense someone's heartbeat. They can hear it. They can see it. They can see the blush of life in a person. The um the the best hunting scene that I know of, which is in a club, is actually in the Friday Night Remake. Oh, yeah. That's a very, very good scene. It's quite suspenseful and fun at the same time. So, yeah, I think that kind of gets it if you wanted to do it in a kind of modern... I can't remember. How do, they, how do they display that? The veins kind of enhance, don't they? They glow. Um, it's it's a close-up. On oh, yeah, okay. Neck. Yeah. Yeah. Um... No, I, I mean, without those, I don't... I, it doesn't make hunting seem as visceral. Is that is that a right way to put it? Yeah. I think, I think that for the storyteller, it becomes a way of describing a scene uh, that automatically makes people... Uh, draws attention uh, to their vampiric nature without saying, so you're vampires and this is how you would be feeling. You know, you can just say you enter the... You can immediately smell um, the coppery scent of old blood or um, as you walk into the darkened corridor, you can hear faintly the beating of a heart. Um, These are things uh, and techniques that you can use um, using this mechanic that I think would make it a lot easier to to create an atmosphere of what it would be like to play a vampire rather than a, a human with vampire superpowers. Yeah, it's very, it really does... It, it adds tools for for players to also paint their own way of describing how they hunt, and I think that's really yes. important. It's not just I go off and, as you say, I go off and hunt, and I get three blood points back because I drain, I, I drink from them, but I don't drain them completely. It's like, oh, really, not that crap again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think that's really a, a really important aspect of um, of Requiem that it, it really tries to bring back to the forefront that you are these predators and and related to that is the predator what was called predators taint and now called predatory aura this taint was this thing where people thought was really useless which was like whenever you meet a vampire you your vampires compare their blood potency you know you compare the blood potency and you eat and you react and you could fly off the handle or, or run away 
in fear because it's basically, you know, two lions sizing each other up. And people thought, oh, that's completely unplayable. And I think it was this thing of where the mechanics were there, but people weren't playing to the spirit of what it was about and thought, oh, it made the game completely unplayable and how, how do vampires even interact? Whereas I think they've really, they've really in, in this, they've really repaired, not repaired, but like gone back into that concept and looked at it deeper and looked at how a vampire manifests the beast so predatory aura is about how you manifest the beast in different situations. So you've got the the monstrous beast, which is what allows you to to um, whether you you are going to stand there and fight uh, when faced with something that also has a predatory aura, which also includes werewolves. Um, the seductive beast, which is what you can use to kind of supernaturally. Um, cause people to desire you which is an important element in vampire so in vampire the requiem the that when you're feeding it's called the kiss and it, it can even be very vicious you use it in a fight and you bite someone and you drain some blood from them or it can be used in a seductive way and it causes this kind of euphoric sensation and then you've got the competitive beast which is again about gaining dominance and using the beast where you're trying to exert your will over someone else which is important when you've got vampires able to use mind manipulative powers so i really like the way they've expanded this predatory aura and used it as something again to color how as a vampire how you interact with other vampires and how you hunt um again it just kind of helps color um being a vampire and what it feels like and and sensing other vampires around you because you and when i say sense they say it's not that you you go spider sense is tingling kind of like you're a vampire you, you pick up because you're because you pick up on, on the things that allow you to hunt someone you also pick up on things which show that that person isn't human like they're not breathing or mm -hmm. they're not perspiring or their eyes don't dilate like a normal person's does or their skin sparkles no no no, no. their skin doesn't <laughs> sparkle um but you get what i mean with that um uh, I mean, David, your, the version of Requiem you've been playing has been the previous edition? Yeah, it was first yeah. edition. Um, so so how, did, how did Predator's Taint turn up for you? Um, if I'm going to be honest, it, it didn't occur very often. Um, and I think that uh, it was handled much more maybe within conversations in the GM uh, indicating uh, how interacting for instance with a, a, a vampire elder um that you have this sense of um of panic when you're in the room um doesn't necessarily mean that you change your behavior but you're aware that there's a, a sense in which you're completely outmatched um mm. so it was it was there but it wasn't wasn't central um cool okay um the other thing which i'm going to briefly because i'm looking at in order in which they uh, turn up in the book the other thing i'm going to briefly uh, talk about is the fact they've um they've got rid of um in requiem the they, the vampires don't use the virtue vice system that appears in um chronicles of darkness they instead use um a variant which is the idea of the masquerade uh the masquerade and the um what is it mask and dirge i think that's yes right. i think so, they represent the masquerade and the, the requiem yeah, so the mask is about how you present yourself to humans, 
and the dirge is about how you how you live your life and how you create your sense of identity as a vampire so um these are things we'd have to re-examine some if we look at your character but so the mask is kind of like the examples i give as mask is like you know you present yourself as a child or you present yourself as a conformist or a or a courtesan or a cult leader or a deviant an idealist a jester so again all these things it's an idea that a vampire acts in a particular way to present themselves as human and if you play to that you can get willpower points back just like if you act towards your virtue or your vice you get willpower points back and i quite like that because that reinforces the idea that you know as a vampire your your life is a balance not between virtue and vice because as a as a, as a monster good and evil virtue vice is really maybe not the things most at the forefront forefront of your mind for survival and mm-hmm. maintaining an identity of what you are but thinking about am i coming across human and also how do i keep a sense of myself as a vampire is important so so dirges um cover they got a list of dirges i think dirges can also be from the same list can't they yes so again there's like scholars and visionaries so i think that's quite good that that's actually i will say again this can be this is more like classic world of darkness vampire actually where you chose nature and demeanor i think it it works really well i always thought that vice was quite flavorful and thematic but virtue for vampire just seemed a very strange uh, and in the book of second edition it says um uh, kindred do not cling to the mortal concepts of virtues and vices uh, as their very existence is mortal sin yeah so that really captures the the far darker flavor of uh, of vampire than, than having a vampire with virtue um never really, reinforces, right? i was gonna say that reinforces how in chronicles of darkness integrity is not really a measure of good and evil it's about how you deal with 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 post-traumatic stress and again in, in vampire and we'll get onto this now humanity is not a measure of whether you're good or evil it's a measure of how human do you present yourself and thus how well you interact with mortals and obviously you lose humanity you lose this sense of self that you seem human by doing things like you know murdering people because you don't care about it or or creating other vampires because that's an act of of supernatural corruption and essentially it reinforces on you that you're not human and the things that help you retain a sense of your humanity are touchstones which they've added into this game into the game so touchstones are are things that anchor you to the world and by by the way you interact with them they they help with your detachment role with the way that you degenerate in your humanity so i don't what would be sam your character's touchstones could be like your character's club uh mortal friends Mm -hmm. lovers items that you care about that you've collected that are important to your life it could be like a particular photo Uh, i remember i remember you uh suggesting you could even have a vampire that depending on the circumstance uh, could keep their job as a human and so you would have work colleagues and actually have the job as like an anchoring thing very much so and in fact Depends. So long as you've got a very, I think if you've got a very high humanity rating and a very low blood potency, a vampire has a degree of, of day walking, which 
is a new addition into this game. So I really like that way that if you are a vampire trying to present as very human, mm-hmm. you could actually be, you can actually almost to a degree still have a, a, a relatively normal life. But I think that'd be good it, within a, a, a coterie. You could have a, a kind of um, power balancer between uh, those who've really taken the path, but that means it's very hard for them to interact with humans. And sometimes it's essential to do that. So someone at low, high humanity, low blood potency could actually have quite a lot of um, influence within vampire society. Yeah. Um, what else is there? So yeah, day sleep and day walking, uh, we've already explained. So that that's actually a thing. I think that's quite cool. Um, there's loads of things that blood does, like you have blood sympathy, so you know how people are tied together. They have, you know, if they share the same sire, um, and there's vitae addiction, so you can become addicted to other kindred vitae. So that's the blood and creates blood bonds, uh, which leads us into ghouls, and um, of course, uh, uh, you know, ghouls become addicted to blood, uh, uh, to vitae. There's diablery or amaranth. Um, which is has some other things because of course that causes degeneration in humanity because you're essentially not only devouring another kindred's blood, their vitae, but you're also consuming their soul. Sam, have you? Is your character ever done diablery? Uh, no. Okay, so not a complete psychopath. <laughs> okay. Um, Someone else did. I yeah, I don't remember who did. I think it was Kate's character, wasn't it? I didn't bend. I mean, Kate, a long time ago. Yeah, I can't remember. Maybe. Mm. It's always a fun time when it happens. My character ended the Chronicle on Humanity 2. Oh, Christ, that's low. And, um, well, he voluntarily walked into hell. Um, So (laughs) he's really going down the occult path, but um, in a, a very, not necessarily destructive certainly um it it started changing his character by interacting with these things until so that that kind of the order to cool as a search for knowledge but kind of following it wherever it leads even if that's a very 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 bad path mm. um okay let's see what else do we got in here um there's a description of the clan banes we kind of said like you know Deva um become uh, gain a persistent dependent condition. So again, a lot of the powers and things we described, like with the 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 um, with feeding and with uh, the kiss and with uh, and with uh, humanity degeneration and a lot of these things. There there are there's a set of condition cards that you can get for Vampire: The Requiem Second Edition. So there are conditions that that work in conjunction with these powers. So like if you become addicted to blood, you you get the wanton. Uh, condition and so forth um so the wanton curse for the deva means they're dependent upon a particular mortal's blood and of course that means that they have a harder time uh uh with um with humanity degeneration related to that um gangrel uh get a modifier to their humanity dots when resisting frenzy mecha um get a modifier for resisting sunlight and uh, other banes uh uh, injuring them, the Nosferatu um, treat their humanity as 
two dots lower for the purpose of social penalty. So how, how high your humanity is influences your social pool when interacting with people, which is important if you've got to do stuff like find out some information. You, know, you can't really just go down to the local pub and start talking to someone when you, when you uh, literally cause like milk around you to turn sour. Um, and the Ventru, so what they do is that they're more, they're, they're more likely to lose their touchstones as they degenerate in humanity. So they feel aloof. So that's what their aloofness means. They, they, they let go of their humanity more easily than all the other clans. Um, then there's everything for frenzying. You can frenzy due to, you know, fear, frenzy due to fire, sunlight, things that harm you. Or you can frenzy due to someone obviously traipsing on, on your territory or hurting a friend or causing uh, grievous amounts of harm to you. And there's modifiers for how you control your, your frenzying. That hasn't changed too much, but I think in conjunction with the other things, it's, um, it's more interesting. Uh, there's a whole bit in this book about what human, how the humanity scale works. And there are some sample breaking points of humanity. So this goes back to how integrity works. Like integrity, you normally, when you create your mortal character, you create breaking points for what things trigger their integrity loss. And obviously seeing supernatural things can also trigger uh, integrity loss, like seeing uh, a raging uh, werewolf and Garouf. Is it Garoufor? Yeah, it will be Garou form because they're not Garou. They're, yeah, but they'll you see that happening and you kind of go, your mind goes mad um, and that's a breaking point. So we've got things um, here like a breaking point for if your humanity... So these would be breaking points if you're above humanity one, like at humanity two, like surviving for 500 years is a, hum, is a breaking point of your humanity. Makes sense. You're going to become more detached from the world around you. That you realise that you're so immortal. Um, spending a year or more in torpor, that'll definitely make you seem, you know, strangely uh, uh, not human anymore. Uh, reading your own obituary, that'll be fun. Um, so all of these. What's really interesting is that they're not um, actually. Um, immoral actions some of them no. are just the passing of time or something you witness or something you you notice and it's about becoming detached from that humanity rather than losing it in a a kind of you're degenerating and that can and that that works really well so if we go back to like say i think the best examples are maybe things like you see in in being human and uh, mostly angel as well you see the lead vampire characters you can see how they 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 cling to the people and the, the the societies they're part they're part of to help reinforce their attachment to the world and reinforce their humanity in the world. I mean, the moment Angel goes off in a bit, goes like, "I don't need you, I don't need you anymore," and he goes off on his little <laughs> flounces flounces away. Yeah. He becomes more and more cold and aloof to the world. Uh, the same in being human. I think when Mitchell Mitchell goes off, yeah, yeah, he loses it big time. <laughs> yeah. And, but then as you, as you re, as you reconnect with the world and you, you, you foster relationships again, it kind of brings you back to the world mm -hmm. and you can then retain your humanity and then improve it and, and, and let it grow. Um, I think it's really great. I mean, this, this is all stuff, which I would say was the thing is, if we go back, let's mention once again, have to mention again, Vampire the Mastery, humanity in that system did really 
mechanically bugger all. Whereas Requiem has moved so far from that game that now humanity is not just kind of a checks and balances system of going, you're more or less human. It really does have an impact on how players play. It's a very good nudge mechanic system for saying, well, you should really think about this. This is, you are going to feel less human because you have witnessed or experienced this thing. And the way I played the character in um, in Dave's game of uh, Requiem um, was in line with um, Walter White in Breaking Bad, so that at every step, it seems like you can rationalise why you're doing something. But if you look at Walter White from the end of that season to the, the season five to the start of um, you know season one, um, they they're worlds apart. But actually, you can the his morality, his links to his former life, the things that he found um, that were particularly valuable to him just fall away over time. Um, I think that that's quite an interesting way of mapping on um, how a vampire might, over time, just keep on feeling they have to make these sacrifices or they have to make these tough decisions um, when they don't necessarily, uh, If we, when we come on to... They don't necessarily have to. Mm. Um, I mean, it's interesting, like, the breaking point of, like, going one week without active human contact. I think, Sam, your character, he, like, as you said, he was more human than some of the other characters in the group because... Yeah. ...has a, controlled a nightclub, mm-hmm. uh, had a ghoul and other things. Did he also have some mortal friends still from... He did have, yeah. Yeah. It was, it's it's interesting. I think it's quite easy for players to play in a very inhuman way in Vampire, and um, I think that that really re- this system helps show that you're not superheroes with fangs, and you you've got things that you should really care about. Um, and the thing that's related to blood potency and humanity is Bane. So as um, I find these are very similar to um, what's in uh, Changing the Lost. So as a as a Characters' weird rating increases. They gain more banes and more, um, uh, was it banes and curses or something else? Uh, and I like this. So you can like, as your, um, as you lose your humanity, you can you can choose not to lose your humanity, but instead take a bane. So that means you now, you know, are repelled by crosses, or um, you have to sleep with the the soil from your grave, or um, your. Uh, What's another example? Can't stand the uh, the sound of bells uh, ringing. Again, these are all really great ways of showing that. Uh, another way for vampires to to somehow mystically kind of reinforce their soul is by the soul becoming weakened by particular things. And that just, again, I'd say that reinforces the idea that in vampire, you're not playing something that doesn't have a soul. You're playing an entity that who has a soul that's been corrupted, which is, I think, quite different to, say, other things where, oh, when you become a vampire, you lose your soul. I'm kind of... And I don't know how I feel about that often, when a vampire loses their soul. I, well, I think a lot of things don't even discuss the fact that people may or may not have souls or... Yeah, I think that's actually like that. worse, as if they don't even consider... Well, no, I was saying that 
where you said you don't like when a vampire loses a soul. No, I think I'm actually thinking it's maybe it's worse when 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 whatever TV or film or something doesn't even consider the nature of vamp the nature they they treat na- the nature of vampirism in a very fleshy way. They don't really think about what it means to is it how is it mystically tied to mm-hmm. you as a person. Well, I think that depends on what you believe in or whether you, um, you know, uh, I think it's kind of interesting you even some have like the sort of scientific uh, vampirism, which is uh, happens in Blade. Yeah. Which then is dealt with in a sort of scientific way as well. I like, so I well, that, yeah. That's interesting. And Blade does a good mashup between science and mysticism for mm-hmm. how they deal with vampirism. And 30 Days of Night as well, which is... Oh, yeah. 30 Days of Night is a, yeah, really good beast of a film. If mm-hmm. you want to see what a bunch of Bellars brood are like, that's that film. <laughs> um, um, and then really in the rest of the book, we've got, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of merits and powers. Some of these are, and this is where second edition of Vampire the Requiem is a great distillation of everything in all the books over the last 10 years. So... A lot of these I've I've seen versions of in previous books, um, and uh, I don't think there's much more to say other than there's there's a lot there you can use. Um, there's all the same disciplines there that you should be if you've played first edition. Uh, there's some great ones. Uh, my favorite discipline, most probably, is. I'm going to say it's ultimately it's nightmare. I love nightmare as a discipline. Nightmare's amazing. Um, though I think animalism has improved a lot. It's a lot more fun than it used to be. Uh, and I also like how you've got how they introduce devotions. So, you know, these um, abilities where you combine your mastery in multiple disciplines. Um, I think they're really, really great. Um, I think Dominate has a lot of narrative potential as well the majesty depending on especially if you start failing roles using them yeah i think they're quite interesting um the other thing to bear in mind is that uh with the blood sorcery with crook and thaban sorcery um is that it's been designed in a way that i think you can near enough replace it with everything that's in um oh, what's it called Blasphemies and oh, can't remember the name of the book. But there's a book for Vampire the Requiem, which is how you is basically kind of like make your own magical, make your own mystical blood magic. So it has a few other um, things in there as well. So you've got some different uh, paths of blood magic. But the way it's designed is it's it's got a lot of. It was done by um, uh, David Hill, but also um, I think. One of the co-writers was David Brookshaw, who, of course, works on Mage. So it's a bit more... It allows you to, if you really want to go beyond what's in this in Vampire the Requiem, you could quite happily take that book and and pause it over. I think it was designed at the bridge between first and second edition anyway. So it'll slot neatly in if you want some more stuff. Yeah, the, um, the, the book is Blood, Sorcery, Sacraments and Blasphemies. And that's it came out. one. Looks like 2013, 2012. Um, So, like, I did write, I did rewrite from mythologies the cult of Mithras uh, blood magic using that, using the stuff from that book. So, you can use that in the new edition. So, I have, I'll dig out a link to that. Um, Mysteries of the Dragon, Calls of the Dragon. I don't think these have changed 
too much, have they? But they've introduced the scales of the dragon, which is all about how you. Perf I think the way I get it is like performing experiments, so you, that you could, so that you can improve your your degrees in the coils. Is that right? I'm just bringing the page back. It was 155. Let's see, coil of ascendant, scales of a dragon. Uh... So through scales, a dragon can share with others aspects of his enlightened state. Kindred can be forced to sleep at night and wake during the day. Mortals given a taste of blood and ghouls made to last well beyond their natural span. But these procedures can be brutal, tantamount to torture and carry side effects, both physical and psychological. So it's ways in which you can experiment and, and give some of those um, uh, either take away um, vampiric drawbacks or give them to to be have them already so it's it's potentially uh, a lot more kind of uh the, the mad scientist archetype i really like that because i think i think the coils were too linear in in their nature and i think adding this element of like um experimenting to allow you to then develop the next level in a coil uh fits better with um with the if it's it yeah, the notion of, of research and, um, you know, as um, we both know, it's about uh, original contributions to knowledge. Um, and the coils sometimes gave the impression that it was more a tradition that you're following in rather than blazing new trails um, and, yeah. you know, and, and really moving vampire knowledge forward. Um, right. And then if we go through the rest of the book, we've got all the typical here, the rules of the game, blah, 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 all everything you normally expect. Of course, you know, you can expand on this using the Chronicles of Darkness core book, and that allows you to introduce mortals and will give you a whole load of extra stuff and expand upon the, on the core rules in here uh, in, a, in a deeper manner so that you can then also flesh out your ghouls because it suggests like if you want to add more gameplay, game ideas and story content to a, a chronicle is to play games not just as your vampire but as your vampire's ghoul or say even a mortal who they trust so you can play the game both in day and night if that's a way of putting it i i would say um so before we the last bit before we get on to the just doing our last bit about talking about movies because we have talked about movies in conjunction let's talk about the Strix and why they're weird now, Sam, have I used the Strix in the game? I think I have briefly. Like, you've seen these yellow-eyed vampires mm -hmm. walking around who, it was like a vampire, but they were acting differently. Yeah. Um, so the Strix, or the Birds of Dis, are these owls who are have an aversion to sunlight and fire, and they are spirits, but they do not reside in the shadow or the hissel. They come from somewhere else. And... They're interesting because they're able to possess kindred and they can also possess corpses. And if they possess a corpse, it essentially does operate like a vampire. And that means they can also embrace people. Um, and the Strix are considered to be omens of doom. In particular, of course, when we consider the fall of the Camarilla, and, uh, which occurred in, uh, in the setting of Requiem for Rome. Um, so the Strix are this kind of, I would say, this kind of chaos element because Vampire the Requiem is all about hierarchies and, and navigating these hierarchies. And 
even when you've got wars going on between different covenants or different cities and different philosophies and different religions within the the the, the creatures of the night the kindred that still all you know hinges around different hierarchies interacting and competing the strix are are taking that that melting pot and literally tipping it everywhere and letting everything go to hell um so as i said i've not really used them yet i've had them as like they've been around in my game kind of as that kind of that that um foreboding element of 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 something bad is about to happen um so david what do you like about the strict or how do they creep you out Okay, so the Strix um, were in the um, vampire game I was playing um, as, uh, as you say, as, as kind of omens of doom. So it was all building to the point where um, a, a person who was um, uh, of uh, the seventh child of the seventh generation, um, whether or not they would choose to become l'enfant diabolique, and um, there was a prophecy about this coming to pass. And one of the things was... Um, the beast will walk the street. So when my character through the Order of Jakul mastered his beast, his beast became a Strix. Um, and then that Strix particularly focused on tormenting him and um, basically wrecking most of his plans. Um, and it was a really weird concept to engage with because I deliberately hadn't read any of the sections about the Strix before beforehand it would take me off guard in the game knowing that they were going to be central and to have uh, a creature first of all uh, that hint of you can see if you catch the glint of yellow in the eye you would know that they had been possessed by strix but you wouldn't necessarily know which strix um, you could try and engage with them and cut deals with them and they might make a deal they might not there's no guarantee they would stick to it um, I think that, that that chaos factor stems from that they innately have no motivation. They like to, they're interested in things. Um, if something's a new experience, then you are potentially going to get their attention that they're going to be more receptive to listening to you, but they will grow bored of you. They will uh, play with you. Um, they will take away things you care about just to see the effect on you. So they're kind of, I think that they're set up almost so no matter what the vampires are doing, the Strix can always be worse um, mm. and they're, they're willing to be worse. So I guess for a vampire, um, they kind of break down the political. They are not invulnerable, but very, very hard to kill. So I think narratively, they're really good as a, a kind of tormentor um, and and kind of being around the main storyline without being the the primary antagonist yeah oh yeah they're um they're very i i think they're they're a real novel um addition to the vampire the requiem because they weren't in the original version and added as part of uh requiem for rome um and yeah that that unknowable you know that unknowable evil entity that's just perversely you know either going after a particular kindred and making his life hell or you know just takes an interest in the politics of of vampires and and you know 
possessing a vampire and then doing something that just go that's out of character and that causes complete chaos. It's a scary, scary type of entity because I think it allows you to add a, inject a lot of mystery into the game. And then when you finally have the players realize that it isn't what you thought was going on, it's all just because you've had one or two stricks, you know, dabbling and literally just using using your city as a playground um, is really good fun. I guess that's why they're 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 called you know they're harbingers of chaos. But the question is, do they do they come along and cause chaos, or are they there waiting for the right moment to interact because they know everything's going to go to hell, and they and it's at that point they take the most interest. I think that's. I get a sense that they're kind of drawn to it like moths to a flame, um, that they can perhaps sense that something awful is going to happen. And so because they take an interest in new and novel experiences, um, that they're, they're drawn to that, that area, how they, they do that, whether they've got some uh, kind of supernatural sense that, that draws them there, I'm not sure. I don't think... And I'm willing to be convinced otherwise. I don't think that they would work as the primary antagonist for a chronicle. No, I really would not use them. I would use them as, I would use, and that's, uh, I think Sam already gets the idea. I'm not really using them as the antagonist of, of our chronicle. Like they, they will mostly feature where I run season three of Vampire, but if they turn up, they're there to add inject that, that element of, of mystery and chaos and 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 unnerve the players because you know I want to go I want to have that moment when they go oh we thought it was all this but actually it's just this this messed up you know fickle petty spirit that gets its kicks out of causing chaos with kindred and um, they're they're interesting creatures I mean because they're spirits as I said but they're not spirits of the hissel so even if you had crossover with mage or with werewolf those two types of characters would also have trouble understanding what the strix are um the strix also can feed on vitae and i think they can do breath stealings they can they can they can feed that way um so there's a lot of fun you can do with them they've got whole interesting kind of powers when they possess people and um and how they can then manifest, uh, you know, low, low, low. So they have something called shadow potency. So at low shadow potency, they can only take a shadow form, or then they can possess a corpse, or at higher level, they can possess a revenant, or then they can possess kindred. And at higher levels, they can actually, you know, materialize fully. Um, they're, um, and there's some really weird options, that, that suggestions here, like uh, having them uh possess uh they can use their ability to possess kindred that actually means they can possess things that are that are that are undead so that means technically a strix could possess a promethean a mummy or a sin eater and i was like wow that would that's a hell of a hell of a ride possessing a sin eater that's what that means you've got three different souls in in the in one body you've got the person the, the Sin Eater itself, their Geist, who's now being also pushed to the back seat. 
and then the Strix that's riding up front causing hell for a bunch of Sin Eaters. Hmm, I'm thinking now, what do I need to do in my chronicle for, for Ghost of Sin Eaters? So, what do you think? Strix turn up in Paris causing havoc for you? I guess. Well, she doesn't trust me now. <laughs> um, I don't trust you in general. No, I know that. That's a wonderful thing to say to your husband. I don't trust you in general. I'm not Don Draper. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's really good fun. Again, I think they're a really good crossover um, element because you could see a vampire like a Mechette or, a, or an Ordo Dracul like, doing all this research, trying to understand the Strix and going, well, I've reached the limit of what I can find out. And then they go talk to like a um, a mage of the path of Moros, so a, a mage that is has the ability to command death. And it's like, what do you know about these creatures? I think you could make them the center of a chronicle, but I think it would have to be a crossover chronicle. Yeah, maybe um, your characters being so horrendously victimized by a Strix that they're desperately trying to figure out a way of getting rid of them for for good. Um, I think that the, the prospect of a Strix possessing a mummy is is quite scary as an antagonist. <laughs> yeah, the mummy wakes. The mummy's been slumbering, has all this, has its a uh, has low memory and high secum, wakes up, and the first thing the Strix does is like, "Oh, some of meteorites." It's like, "Oh <laughs> shit!" And the yes. Paul, and the Mechet cultist is like, "Oh, what's happening?" And it's like, "Oh, it's 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 not." You know, this is all just to victimise that Mechet vampire cult that works around this mummy. Um, well, that's ridiculous. That's a really crazy idea. Um, <laughs> it wow. could make for a very interesting chronicle. Um, I wonder. I wonder about where they come from, though, because they they obviously come from some shadowy realm that isn't the the Hissel. I was wondering whether they're tied to a particular uh, domain of the underworld. So, in in Geist of Sin Eaters and the Book of the Dead, they talk about these domains that are ruled over by Kerberoi. And I was wondering, it, maybe it fits with, with Requiem. What if it's a, a realm of that's tied to... It's an underworld domain which is tied to the events of Pompeii, and so that ties in more with, um, you know, with, vampire, uh, with Requiem for Rome, with the Roman period and the death of the Julii. So, you know, a realm of ash and shadow um, would be kind of fun. Uh, that would also make sense why the Strix are obviously harmed by fire. Uh, so they could be all the dead from Pompeii. They could be the spiritual manifestation of the dead of Pompeii. Oh, that's a nice idea. Um, the other idea I've got for the, that I had with the Strix, or did I have an idea with the Strix? Um, no, it's gone now. I was had there was an idea and it's gone. Promethean. Oh, yeah, there's some, possibly with Promethean. Um, possibly. Oh, that's you could so much totally fun. trash someone's uh, pilgrimage. Oh yeah, you could. You could really victimise someone. The yeah, they're really they're really nasty. Uh, it's an interesting antagonist because I think normally most antagonists in like in in games are set up so that they're kind of in some respects quite sympathetic and you can understand them. Like the the exarchs in Mage are playable. Uh, in Werewolf, the pure are playable. Uh, in Changeling of the Lost, uh, I guess the Fae kind of fulfill that role as well as being kind of that eldritch power that you don't really understand and causes havoc and is hunting you down. The Strix are just a lot more... They're a lot more petty. Um, but I like them. They're, they're a nice addition. I think really make Requiem quite different. Is there anything in 
I'm just trying to think about anything in any vampire media that's kind of or any supernatural horror TV that's like the Strix. Um, hmm. obviously, oh, I'm gonna, I was going to suggest uh, the movie Devil with mm-hmm. the, with the devil jump body jumping in, in the, the elevator. elevator. Yeah. That's one. And there's another film that's like that where it's a which it's a spirit that's body jump body jumping that uh, starred. Um, Denzel Washington. I can't remember the name of the film. For, was it Fallen? Maybe. I think so. So that kind of body jumping causes chaos. Supernatural. The TV series. Uh, I mean, they even have the yellow-eyed demon. Yeah, I guess there is people. that one. Yeah. Um, we watched I, some Supernatural recently, like from the more recent series, and I was like, what is this anymore? Um, I, I gave up at season eight, I, I just, um, I, I thought season four was the pinnacle, which is the, the whole kind of build up to the apocalypse and it never really delivered um, with uh, the apocalypse. You know, you have kind of each of the four horsemen of the apocalypse other than death being dispatched in a single episode. And um, they're up to season 11. Yeah, I think they're, they're going up to 12. Season 13, actually. <sighs> I know. I mean, it's a really fun show, um, and you know it has a great monster of the week formula. But it does feel like even at season eight that they were recycling things and retreading, and it felt very worn at it, that point. So its, it's become its own tribute band. It's like Kiss. It's just you know it's become after season five. It's just nonsense. Less about that anyway. Supernatural. Um, (laughs) uh, if we ever talk about it we're only going to talk about like seasons one to five in the anime Um, right Uh, they've got what else we got we got some last things we've got like a gallery of horrors we've got some sample undead things that I think it's also important we can say and talk about uh, mysteries and night horrors which is a great book from first edition but is also still relevant for Requiem Requiem really likes having vampires that aren't aren't one of the clans so other vampires that aren't really kindred but could you you also get this thing where you can have vampires which are which do have um blood potency and in some respects are kind of um cousins of kindred and then you can also get vampires that very much aren't the kin anything like the kindred um they're always really good fun to use um and the list of antagonists in here, I'm sure, kind of taps into some of that. And they also give you a list of antagonists, kind of like uh, looking at example Strix. Um, but then, really, we should then just kind of talk about some of our favourite vampire films then, to really okay. get across all these ideas. Because we've talked about a lot of what Requiem is. Sam, what is the film or films that you really think give you the best feel for how to play Requiem or how to play some good Requiem characters? Um, well, I think uh, uh, these films are sort of, I could put them in the same category almost, uh, sort of stylistically or thematically. Um, Near Dark is one, um, The Hunger, um, Only Love is Left Alive as well. So I think that you could you could probably have quite a good movie night watching all of those because they seem to go together quite well. And why do they um, go together quite well? Um, I think um, if you pay attention to their soundtracks and the kind of... Uh, it's very, like, tangerine dreamy. <laughs> 
um and in in a way um i think like near dark has a kind of claustrophobia about it um about the fear of discovering what you are as a vampire and then you have um the hunger which uh, brings forward the sort of the sensuality of being a vampire and uh, only lovers left alive has uh, kind of ennui and boredom of being a vampire so i think you know they they have those different aspects of um vampire life living as a vampire yeah uh, and also with near dark you've got a good example of some very brutal vampires yeah. um only lovers left alive i mean if you look at um hiddleston's character he's very much a, i would say quite a, a mecha because obviously he's collated all this all this knowledge because he's got stuff he's got like technology based on tesla i have to say i loathe that character adam i find him incredibly pretentious even for a vampire (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but i do i do love the movie though um and obviously the hunger has that kind of idea of like this ancient egyptian vampire and yeah and um corruption of the blood Mm um yeah I don't know which is, I think, I don't know, I can't actually name a favourite in, in any of those. Um, I think it's important, it's interesting to pick those out because, I mean, at the same time, as you said, like, at the same time, like, Near Dark came out was um, Lost Boys. Yeah, they, they were the same year, actually. Yeah. And Lost Boys is a main influence on, on um, along with The Hunger, I think, the main influences for, for Vampire the Masquerade. But mm. I don't know whether Lost Boys is really... I think... The Lost Boys is one of my favourite vampire movies. I I just didn't think it was quite the right tone to, to mention yeah. here. Um, it's it's great fun and it's a classic and it's really brilliant. Um, but I personally wouldn't really play a game like that. Although we have talked about doing um, an eighties vampire one shot before. Well, there is that wonderful book for uh, Requiem, which is. Um... <laughs> Why am I? My mind's blanked on its name. It's got a great name. It's um, called... I can't remember either. Um, it's New Wave. New Wave New Requiem, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which would be really interesting to play, wouldn't it, David? Because like the eighties in America, because that's obviously written very much from eighties America. The eighties in the UK is it's a different, different beast yeah. entirely. <laughs> uh, yes, um, all sorts of yeah, kind of clashes between uh, uh, strikers and and the police. Um, <laughs> Deindustrialization, industrialization um, naturalism. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of parallels, but there's also, I think maybe, you know, if you were setting it in a northern city in particular, uh, I think, yeah, it'd be a very, very different feel for an 80s rec room game. I can just imagine uh, a bunch of Carthian vampires shouting something like, uh, of a vampire calling them a blood stealer uh, mm-hmm. in a kind of homage to Maggie Milk, <laughs> Maggie uh, well, yeah, Milk Snatcher. You, you, could have, you could have the the, the vampires with the eighties excess. That'd be really good fun. Things. I've got to think about that. I have to think about running. Or that you know, as if a one you shot. did an American game, Wall Street Vampires, and that gets us to Wolf of Wall Street. Which yeah, is... I was talking about that as a an influence of power struggles and corruption. Yeah. <laughs> replace copious amounts of coke and drugs with, with lots blood. of blood <laughs> yeah yeah okay well 
that's a good start with those um, films. I would also say that uh, sort of for a modern Requiem sort of game, um, other moves are uh, Byzantium, mm. uh, Blade, uh, like I said, with the yuppie vampire concept. Um, we also watched uh, Let Me In recently. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously that's a remake, but um, we watched it first because you were writing something for work I and think so. we couldn't pay attention to subtitles at the same yeah, time. Yeah. So we watched that one first. Um, and like we said, 30 Days of Night. Um, I also wanted to mention a film with Jude Law called The Wisdom of Crocodiles, which is quite an old one. I think it's from 1990. Yeah, it's got... And was... Jack Davenport's in it as well, I think, who is in Ultraviolet, um, you know, star of Pirates mm. of the Caribbean. He played Norrington. Um, and that's quite an interesting, very, very British film. Um, just a, a bit of a weird one. Uh, but um, quite interesting as well. And he's playing a kind of loner vampire in it. It's interesting in that list of movies is when you look at vampire, when you look at vam- vampire stories approached from a very British angle, because they just generally those films seem very, have a very different feel. Mm-hmm. Like you look at Byzantium and again, the vampires are really having just to deal with the world that's moved on around them. They don't really, I, I don't really get ever the feeling that sometimes these vampires are really dealing very well with the modern world. No. <laughs> um, and I like Byzantium because it gives again this idea like, you know, how to become a vampire is, is completely it's different. really different. Yeah. Really, really, really different. Very original take on. It's really cool that. Um, David, any comments uh, on any of those yeah so um watching near dark uh last night uh i was struck in preparation for this that um really it's a, a great way of uh demonstrating what the first night or several nights of, of being a neonate would be like in requiem um if you were particularly unlucky uh, about which uh, group of vampires created you um because certainly the scene in the um, roadside bar um, where Caleb is told to to kill someone is um, really I, I think brilliantly um, shot and scripted um, but also really disturbing in terms of the level of sadism from the other vampires um, and you know Severin, Jesse Hooker, Diamondback and Homer could be members of Belial's brood um, it's a, a really um, I think to pick up on Sam was saying about the the sense of claustrophobia, the sense of um, the doorways being blocked, that um, Caleb is forced into this situation. And what's interesting in Near Dark is that he never gives into it. So he only ever feeds on uh, another vampire, May. Um, yeah. And I don't know how people... How did you feel about um, the ability of not only he can... Uh, remove the vampire curse but also can um get uh, may's curse lifted through transfusion i i actually like it i like the happy ending the love story aspect of it i think it's because um you know i do i do like sort of dark gritty stories with bad endings as well but it's just nice to see that 
on occasion it's such a it, like a dark movie in other ways and quite brutal and violent and i guess it's also the only i mean it is it is a romance really so. it's also that classic kind of american southern gothic yes southern gothic but yeah. i think it's the only time i've actually really appreciated southern gothic where it doesn't How feel dare where it doesn't you? feel too hokey i don't think i think, you've seen enough of it well i think maybe I think maybe True Blood just soured me on the whole That's thing. That's not something gothic. Yeah, well, I think it attempts to be it. It tries, yeah, it really does. <laughs> I, I did notice as well with um, Jesse, who fought for the uh, Confederate in the Civil War. Yes. Um, is pretty much um, Bill Compton is is, is pretty, that that's his backstory. So whether there is um, whether it's an influence or. Whether it's it just a coincidence, is, um, like some other things that are also an influence to Charlene Harris. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, didn't they? Didn't they? Uh, for any PR, have to like backtrack and delete yes. that she mentioned how this is all based on her Vampire the Masquerade LARP. Yes. Characters. <laughs> yep. I think that's the last time we mentioned Masquerade now. Um, <laughs> I like that before this podcast, you warned me, do not mention Masquerade. I think there's certain points where we had to oh, yeah. mention it to really show how Requiem is closer to certain things in representing a vampire. Can we not come up with another term for it, like the Scottish play? Or... <laughs> the, Scottish play. <laughs> the other game. <laughs> what trench coat and katanas um well I, I think near dark what, what's excellent about it is it's not really about vampire politics it's no. about it's very much a personal story small coterie um there's no sense even in the film we're not clear that there are any other vampires um which again um makes for quite an interesting contrast to say something like yeah, they- blade where there's a whole yeah, they structure. also seem they seem loyal to each other because they have to be to stay safe in a pack rather than none of them seem to like each other very much. Yeah, which is pretty mean. much pretty much <laughs> life as a vampire anyway. <laughs> well, I wouldn't always say that because well a lot of vampires have companions and they're very fond of each other. So, I think that's it, it's kind of fun just seeing them yell at each other and things like that they just, just put up with each other i just remembered a movie we didn't put we didn't put down but we have watched we are the night that is a good one yeah it's a german film it's a german one i can't remember much of it shit we should have rewatched that before well we this. can talk about that some other time yeah because it's it's worth talk because it's it's quite uh original mm. in its concept and things that it explores and it's you know like an all-female cast yeah, which which is interesting because obviously Byzantium kind of looked at the idea of almost like vampire uh, vampiric society, kind of um, maintaining some sort of of division of the sexes and being a fraternity and how it was corrupt. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you could possibly look at that idea of who who gets embraced is is punished or not depending upon what you do, uh, and relating that to like how you deal with like the invi- not the invits with the um the Lancair Sanctum and, and the Circle of the Crone. The Lancair Sanctum in particular because you know they see embracing as, as a sin, but a sin that you have to do to continue the work of God that they do. Um, other vampire films that are on the list or other things to discuss? I would say um, that... That's pretty much what I... Yeah, go on. Cause I he, <laughs> he Never Died. 
Um, came out in 2015. Um, uh, features. You haven't watched it yet. Henry Rollins. Do you want me to not? I, I I don't think I should talk about the film then if you haven't seen it because there well, are some we'll, major spoilers. We'll keep, we'll keep that one for another time. Then, okay, so. but very very interesting take. Um, uh, with regards to Thirty Days of Night, which I I love as a film, I think the ending is perhaps the, the weakest part of it. Um, it did make me think of um, maybe rather than Belial's Brood, um, vampires that have reached humanity zero, they, they become the Draugr. I'm not sure how you oh, pronounce yeah. that. Um, that they are just driven entirely by hunger. Um, that they feed, they protect themselves. And they they sleep and that's all they do, um, which is great for a horror film. Could you make that into a playable game? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, possibly. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. I think I think it would work better as a mortals game with those as antagonists than it would if you wanted to go down a sort of survival horror route. Yeah. Um, than to have them as, as as player characters because yeah you turn up at a town you kill everyone in the town you leave the town um it's not really there's not a huge amount of character development going on mm. right um any last points or comments uh interview of the vampire Guess we've got to talk about the uh, elephant in the room. I mean, it is, the, uh, it is kind of like the, the the big kind of vampire film point of reference for vampires surviving down the ages and somehow getting to the modern world. Um, um, it's quite I awful. love it. I, I'm a fan of Van Rice. Um, it's Interview is one of my favourite movies. It's uh, it's quite timeless, I think. It, it doesn't really age when, yeah. when you watch it. It looks fantastic and it's written fantastically, even though it has a lot of differences to the novel. Um, I still think it's a really good adaptation. Uh, what's interesting now is that um, uh, they're, they're actually redoing the Vampire Chronicles. So I'm not, I'm not certain. I think they're starting with Tale of the Body Thief, which is odd because they, they could have just done an interview with the vampire again, but I guess they don't want to. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I love it because it's probably the best version of, you know, vampires in like frock coats type thing. Yeah. You know, um, I do love historical vampires as well, but and I think it is the best representation of that, really. Hmm. I think it gets dismissed sometimes as, um, being uh, you know, vampiric angst with the yeah. focus on Louis. Yeah. Uh, and what gets lost is there's actually quite a sense of complexity to the other vampires. So you've got Armand who's attempting to find a reason to, to persist. And uh, Lestat, who certainly from uh, from the books was my favorite character, is somebody who yes. actively enjoys his damnation, mm-hmm. that um, he's not um, a hero per se, but he's a, a, an anti-hero or someone who is so charismatic. I would, I would compare Lestat actually to Hannibal Lecter from uh, the recent TV series, yeah. someone who just is completely immoral but charismatic at the same time. He's very engaging, even though it's it's quite hard to identify with him. So I, I think that Lestat quite often gets uh, marginalised and, and the focus is on Louis. 
Yeah, and my uh, my favorite character is Lestat. Um, I would definitely rate him higher than Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> but um, I, uh, yeah, he's 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 really fun as a character. Like um, if you read the novel The Vampire Lestat, um, which you know is is written from him in in first person, it's a really fantastic uh, about him. You know, waking up uh, in the eighties. And, and hearing rock music for the first time and deciding he's going to be a rock star and it's just a fantastic story and he's a he's a great uh one of the greatest vampire characters i think um my other favorite character from into the vampire is claudia because uh it's a fantastic performance from kirsten dunst and it's, mm. it's really nuanced and she was only 12 when she played that role um and is it uh like Claudia is such a tragic character and um, for people who haven't read the book Interview the Vampire I would really say to read it because you learn a lot more about her and um, uh, a couple of years ago at Christmas uh, Chris got me the the Claudia's story uh, graphic novel which basically uh, takes things from Claudia's perspective so it's Interview the Vampire from her perspective and it's illustrated um, in a sort of manga style by an artist called Ashley Marie Witter. Mm. And it's just absolutely, it's a beautiful book. So if anyone likes that sort of thing, they should check that out as well. That sounds great. She is, she's a very tragic character in a way that, say, Homer from Near Dark isn't. Yes. The, the, yeah. the, the strong parallels between the two characters, but certainly the way Homer is presented is far less complex and tragic uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say the other TV series we've not mentioned and is worth mining for ideas and is mostly considered derided as being a bit too ooh, a bit too uh, I guess a bit too soppy is Moonlight yeah um, Moonlight did a lot of things wrong but it has some really cool elements to it and it's just yeah I think when you say it's soppy yeah it's um uh it's not that it does romance it's just it gets a little bit too sentimental and actually at one point um the soundtrack uses my immortal (laughs) which was a grave mistake um but that you know i can't really hold that against it because it's a great show and it's really worth watching and it just got killed it just suffered the writer's strike strike, yeah killed killed it 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 actually was really i would say it was in some respects a very good it it kind of felt like like what um kindred the embrace was really trying to be Mm -hmm. and it did well it has some really great ideas like uh drugs made from the remains of vampires which also brings us on to because it also that's another show that does it um, and isn't actually, it's all right if you just want to watch it, it's a bit kind of, you know, a bit a bit cheesy in places. The Blade TV series is good in respect that it shows vampire society and doesn't focus on Blade. It's, again, interesting. Um, you know, it's a bit trashy TV, but still, you know, again, you can mine it for ideas. But then I again, think- Blade, Blade has ripped off Vampire the Masquerade a lot as well with the whole clans and houses and stuff. I think... Um- Ultraviolet um, is a, the, the the TV series is really worth watching, yes. but um, it's not necessarily uh, going to give you ideas for how to run a Vampire the Requiem Chronicle because it's very much from the perspective of the hunters. Yeah, um, but you, it's 
of vampire societies that are presented and you keep getting very different senses of of what the vampire's end game is uh, of how they think whether or not um you know are they a political group that should be engaged with the, the hunters are very much you know stamp them all out um but I, there's some really eerie moments such as um they they can't um communicate via technology so it's not just their image isn't seen in a mirror it's not caught on cctv they can't use a telephone um and um so to speak into her telephone they would have to type and get an electronic voice uh, in using 90s uh, software to speak uh, in order to um, communicate and these give some really brilliant examples of how to um, convey that sense of eeriness how you would translate that into a world of twitter um facebook etc <laughs> is intriguing but yeah yeah cool um right i think that covers everything i think we've gone through a lot um i think we'll delve back into vampire the requiem when uh secrets of the covenant comes out Sounds good. um next time we're gonna have to talk about our furry friends the <laughs> werewolves of uh werewolf the forsaken because that has a second edition i need to read back through that again we'll do the same thing we'll look at particular werewolf media uh and fiction um and uh yeah i think that's pretty do our standard run so um yes uh if anyone has any feedback they can email us at darkdaysradio at gmail.com they can get in contact with us via the darker days uh facebook page um and we have a the darker days radio twitter um and we have the Dark Days Radio uh, Google Plus community, so that's the best place to uh, talk, you know, contact about also classic World of Darkness games if you're into that. Uh, please check out Midnight Express if you want some specific um, classic World of Darkness content. And uh, yeah, that's um, that's all that type of um, stuff. There's the blog where we've got um, everything about the UK Games Expo written up. Uh, and where we'll have the sessions from Geist the Sinitas written up. Uh, let's think, what else? At some point, David, I think we're going to have to do a one-shot talking about uh, War Machine Hordes uh, Mark III, because we've got the new edition out. Yes, and um, Crix has taken quite the battering. Oh, well, it's all in balance with everything else, <laughs> I think. I think everyone's taken a bit of a hammering. Scorn, Scorn's all right, I think. Legion is wimping, you know, whimpering about losing stuff, and I think Circle are whimpering about it. So, you know, these changes don't occur in a vacuum. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be interesting to talk about that because I think there's some there's some cool cool new stuff coming up anyway. Yes, um, and I would hope to be playing some games of that in the next uh, few weeks because I've got the um, I've got the decks on uh, Warring so. Um, I might next month buy the, the 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 battle group for Scorn so I can get the new caster because he's quite awesome. Um, yeah, uh, I think at some point myself and James will do another follow-up talking about the Screaming Antelope for Kingdom Death. Uh, and that'll mostly be it with stuff coming up. Uh, on Twisted Tales on the blog, you as I said, you interviewed Dark, um, about did the interview about Dark Age. Yeah. Uh, 
And is there some other stuff coming up on the blog there or other events? There are some really, really interesting things that I would love to be able to say but haven't been confirmed yet. Um, yeah, okay. We are um, continuing to focus on, on gaming. Um, so uh, hopefully having something, uh, some more content relating to computer games, horror computer games. Oh, um, well, that's good. You should definitely maybe talk to James then as well, given he's played every Dark Souls game going and stuff and, and um, other stuff. We actually uh, do he, have he a, a review of Dark Souls on the blog. Um, Tim Franklin, um, who was at one point our games editor, um, reviewed it. And uh, yeah, that, that's a really, really interesting take on, on horror via uh, kind of fantasy RPG. Well, yeah, I mean, so an event to get coming up with that because obviously he's, you know, games designer and stuff and worked for various companies. So, um, you know, it's yeah, good to have James uh, as our as our in-house games designer on that type of stuff. Definitely, that that'd be really interesting to. Uh, I really, I really do need to find some time and sit down and play Silent Hill Two. I'm gonna have to like find it on the Xbox and download it. Um, ooh, um, yeah, it'll be interesting once there's some more events because it'd be good to go to stuff um i'm got, i think i've got my eye on SmogCon now for next year um it's going to be in birmingham i hear oh that's a bit closer that'll be more accessible um and hopefully less expensive um i went this year and it was fantastic i really 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 recommend it what stuff we got locally there's some nice events coming up soon locally i think sheffield's got a comic con we've got that horror convention coming up uh yes uh but i didn't know if we'd be in a position to go um it's july 9th and 10th so we should be able to go mm-hmm. how much is it? it's not that much ticket wise is it about 13. oh okay yeah yes. we'll do it <laughs> yeah we'll do it. we can we can choose to I'll do it take also, it on the chin also by toy soldiers all the time um grim up north uh, comes back for I think it's in sixth or seventh year now, um, which is a Manchester-based horror film festival. This is absolutely fantastic, and I I go uh, every year I can. I'm just trying to find the dates for this year. Uh, it looks like it's going to be the sixth to ninth of October, um, and that is usually kind of four days um, lunchtime through to the early hours of the morning back to back pretty much um, horror films mainly new horror films um, with some classic um, screenings as well they have uh, panels uh, Q&A with um, people who are uh, writers directors makeup artists um, it's a really 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 great event and um, I, I've, I've enjoyed everyone I've gone to so I definitely so recommend have, people. We have one in Sheffield, which is um, around the corner from us, isn't it? The uh, Halloween Film Festival they have. No, yeah. The, um, thingy. What do you call it? The what? Well, the place where they have it. Um, the showroom works. Oh, yeah. 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 I told you about it, right? I've totally <laughs> forgotten. <most> probably. <laughs> um, Sounds good, though. Yes. Cool. Well, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, back to happen then that'll be great cool i think that's everything so with that i think it's time to say goodbye so um yeah see well hopefully everyone will tune back in for episode three so yeah see ya bye bye bye